I'm Deb Kuykendall. And I'm Jacob Kuykendall. I'm Karen Hernandez. And this is The Decades Podcast, a podcast where we watch two movies, one from a previous decade and one from the 2010s. And this season we are covering horror movies. I hope you enjoy the show. Heck yeah, you'll enjoy the show. Hi, this is episode 11 of... Decades Podcast, and I'm Deb Kuykendall. I'm Karen Hernandez. I'm Jacob Kuykendall. And this was one of our special episodes, whoop, whoop. Uh, yes. focusing on female directors. Um, <laughs> we're going to start probably, <laughs> you know, normally we go in uh, chronological order from oldest to newest, and as a result, the best movie will be first. Okay. Hey. The second best movie will be last. The third best movie will be second. How many movies did we watch for this? Will be Third. But we, we watched, also watched some other movies. Yeah, we watched four movies. Um, the the movie from the 1950s was The Hitchhiker, directed by Ida Lupino. Mm. And the movie from the 70s was The Velvet Vampire, directed by... Mm. Oh, no. I forgot her name. Um, we'll come back to that. I'm sure it'll come to me. I'll edit it back in later. <laughs> the third movie was Boxing Helena. Directed Woo! by no. <laughs> Boo! He means boo. It was directed by Jennifer Lynch, daughter of David Lynch. Uh huh. And the fourth movie we watched was Jessica's Body, directed by Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's Body. Oh, two Jennifers. Directed by Karen Kasuma, I believe. Karen Kasuma, yeah. Yeah, we talked about Karen. And I talked about Karen Kasuma. <laughs> um. And written by Diablo Cody. Oh, Melvin Vampire yes. is Stephanie Rothman. Stephanie Rothman, Thank uh, you. working for. Money. Uh, working for the studio. I can't remember the name of the studio right uh, now, let's... but it was uh, Roger Corman's studio. Yeah. It's an exploitation film. The um, There are a couple of other, of other movies we watched that were not on the list that mm-hmm. we might bring into the conversation. In fact, I'm certain that we will, at least mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, we watched The Love Witch, which was written and directed by, I want to say, Kate Biller? Biller, I'm sure, is right. Kate, I'm not so sure about. Okay. Uh we also watched during our season, we watched The Babadook. It was mm-hmm. the only female-directed movie during our regular Schedule episodic, programming. Yeah, programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some other movies we might want to talk about, American Psycho or what was it? Ravenous. Ravenous. Yes. Okay. Uh, mm. um, and one I of the reasons we might want to talk about some other movies is that the movies that we watched <laughs> were... One of them was Bad. good. One of them was good. <laughs> yeah, The Hitchhiker was great. The Hitchhiker was good. Um, and I liked Jessica's body. Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body. <laughs> she the does other... look like a Jessica, though. She does. She does look like a Jessica. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, uh, with the exception of Jennifer's body, all of the movies were written and directed by this by the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them uh, in collaboration well, with others, but Hitchhiker did not star the. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant no. I meant did I say star or did no? I she say... said written and directed. Written oh. and directed. Yeah, Ida Lupino worked with her husband to write the screenplay for the Hitchhiker. Gotcha. But a couple of these people, the act. No, I don't know. why I'm blanking. I'm sorry. I'm so confused. <laughs> not Never one mind. Of, not fart. one of them starred the director. No. Whoops. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about the Hitchhiker first, but I wanted to say a few things about the history of women's director, women women directing films in Hollywood. Okay. Let's hear it. Um, so in the, we were going to watch a 10 minute short mm-hmm. horror <laughs> movie directed by, um, uh, names are not going to be good for me today, but uh, directed by, in 1913 by a female director. Um, but we could not get Amazon to Thanks for work for us. Thanks Amazon. Um, so we didn't watch it, but 
uh, basically in the in the teens and twenties, women were doing that. Women, I'm sure, at much lower numbers than men, but they were doing all the jobs. They were editing, they were writing, mm-hmm. they were directing, they were acting, and that includes like um, actresses who also directed movies like Mary Pickford and Lillian Gish, and the woman whose movie we were going to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it got to the 30s, there was only one woman director, and women were really pretty much not doing anything else. Hmm. They were acting, and that was about it. Uh, the woman's name was Dorothy Arzner. She started out, I think, as an editor, and she was very good at her job. She was so good at her job that when she said, I want to direct a movie or I'm leaving the studio, unfortunately, I can't remember which studio, they said, okay, you can direct movies. She cool. directed lady movies, you know, movies about fashion and, and whatnot, but she yeah. was a working director in a major studio. One of the few, it sounds like. The only one. Oh, okay. Yes, one of the few. <laughs> and she was, she was followed by Ida Lupina, who also was the only female director during the 50s when she was working. Wow. Um, but she was extremely prolific. Um, She's good. And Incredible. She, was a, she started out as an actress, and she was also a very famous actress. Um, she came from England. Her family was an entertainment family. Then she got into movies, and she was a very successful actress mm. at the time. Uh, she started directing, uh, she and her husband of the time, I uh, can't remember his first name and his last name, Collier, they developed their own film studio. Mm. And uh, the way that she started directing was, uh, she was, they were producing a movie, the director had a heart attack and could not continue, so he basically mentored her through directing that film. The guy who had a heart attack? The guy who had a heart attack. Wow. Right? So then she directed, that was her first directing uh, cool. experience and then after that she directed a lot of movies because she was good at it yeah um including the hitchhiker uh, a movie called the bigamist which she also starred in hmm. she was the first female director ever to direct a movie that she starred in she that was is. also the first female director ever to uh direct a television episode that she starred in she was in a couple episodes of the twilight zone that she directed Fine. That's um cool. she, which ones do you know what her uh, i watched was? one of them actually called the mask no was it mask? No, it was like the. I think it was the twelve-inch pianist. No, <laughs> it was the twelve-inch. I can't think of the word. Like podium or something. Okay. It had to do with an aging television actress, a uh, movie actress. I'm sorry, who is so obsessed with her past that eventually she she goes into the movie. I've seen that one. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's Ida Lupino. That's a classic. Um. Oh well, no, that's that's developed vampire. We'll come to that later. Um. <laughs> She up. She stopped directing or and acting in or around the seventies. Okay. So she was basically in an ep- every episode of every syndicated TV show you know the name of. Like At least once. The Virginian. Um, you don't know the names of any of these, do you? <laughs> the Virginian. She. She. Her last show that she was in was Charlie's Angels. Okay. Uh, she was in Wild Wild West. She was in the Twilight Zone. These. She directed an episode of Gilligan's Island. Love that show. Um, yeah. So yeah, and then and through the '80s, she was uh, the most prolific director of TV episodes at all. Whoa. Not male, Good female. For her. But just she was well respected, and people, and she was very. You know, she got a lot of work. Badass. Yeah. Ida Lupino. Shout out to Ida. <laughs> yeah. She's killing it in this movie, killing it in her life. Yep. So that's Ida. Oh, and then after that, um, after Ida Lupino, I think that's where we are right now, right? So there are a few female directors of movies, but it's still a pretty low oh, quotient. Yeah. Very small. Um, 
And you had said something about how our selection of movies didn't really reflect very well mm-hmm. on female directors. Right. And one of the articles that I wrote, which was an interview with Karen Kasuma, was... You said wrote, but I think you mean read. Read. <laughs> yeah, I wrote <laughs> I'm this being, article. I'm being <laughs> no, it was an interview with her where she talks about the fact that female directors don't get the leeway to make mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's very Just true. like in real life, too. Yeah. Right. So we know there are direct male directors out there who keep directing, well... M. Night Shyamalan, for yeah. example. He started great, got real bad, coming back around to great again. Right. And I said real life, but I, what I meant to say is in other professions. I, <laughs> right. I don't mean to say that <laughs> making movies is not is like fantastical or not a real job, because it is. Right. So yeah. she, um, Karen Kasuma, and I'm, I'm going to end here because I'm going off into the future. Karen Kasuma got her start. She made a movie called Girl Fight. It came out in 2000. It was yeah. shown at Sundance. She won the Director's Award and the whatever the top, the grand jury prize, yeah. which was, I think, the only time that's ever happened where the same movie won both prizes. I've heard of that. I Was it bad? Was it was there, good. Okay, I was trying to remember. There's something I've heard about it, but I can't remember what it was. It was very good. It didn't do so well when it was released. Maybe that's it. Um, but it was very well received at Sundance, and so there was a lot of promise for her, you know, what was going to happen next for her. Yeah. But she was, she is somewhat, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, she is somewhat uncompromising about her ideas so there's mm-hmm. certain things an um, edward norton type right so she you know there are things that she doesn't want to give up mm-hmm. and i think yeah that's that's cool there's there's so much just in general in life i've found that like if women get this position that that's usually you know for men that it's it comes with a lot of bargaining and a lot of like loss of you know it's it's controlled so even if they get an opportunity there's just limited yeah it's very limited and that's probably like what deb was saying like that's probably why some of these movies are shitty is because maybe funding is an issue Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to take a chance on this kind of right well like the director of the velvet vampire she only directed for a short period of time and then she gave up because she couldn't get into mainstream films Mm -hmm. um and, you know, basically she had to compromise on all her mm-hmm. films because she worked in a certain genre that required, you know, a certain number of breasts be displayed. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, hard to, to really bring together a plot when you have to meet these shitty quotas of like, you know, yeah, what uh, Jacob's limited. dad was talking about, like six boobs, you know, you got to have this certain Three amount explosions. of butts. And it's just like, you know what? That's it's really hard to make a good quality film if you're limited at every single turn. I mean, one Last little thing about Ida Lupino that made me a little bit sad is um, the I was the book I was reading, which is Ida Lupino Beyond the Camera, I think is the title of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, she describes her style of directing, and again, it, there was compromise. She couldn't just mm-hmm. go direct a movie. She had to. She felt very strongly that she had to uh, omit a feminine uh, presence to mm-hmm. be. A, from my perspective, from me, my reading into it, non-threatening to the yeah. male people that she was working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was called mother oh. on the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she I mean, she was okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm not, yeah. She was happy with that. But from my perspective, in, you know, 40 years later, it's like, well, she had to Didn't not, have a lot of options. Right? right. She couldn't just come out and say, you know, do this, do that. And also she was, she, she was extremely prepared. And I think that part of that was probably... A lack of confidence that you know how 
She can't wing it. Right. You know? She can't wing it. Everything has to be perfect. That's what the male-dominated society expects from women whenever they feel that they've given women an opportunity. They're like, well, these women have to perform and perform at the highest standards, even though men are given so much leeway in about everything that they do in this, in this world. Right. I was so. saying, well, I was going to say, but when we were looking it up, Karen Kasuma has had a, actually a, a very good career since Jennifer's body. She was actually didn't work for quite a few years she after a, a girl fight, I believe. Because I, I was going to say, one of the things she directed was The Invitation. That's her I latest seen... film. I saw that movie. It's pretty good. I yeah. it's good. It's supposed to be good. Um, there was something else between Jennifer's body and Girl Fight, I think. There was. I can't remember. She's, she's directed a, uh, a number of different things. And she directs television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, uh, there's a new horror movie out this year that is a an anthology of four horror oh. shorts, by all directed by women. And oh. I would have had us watch it if I had known it would be available to us, which it is, but I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> uh, is it out already? Uh, you can stream it, <gasps> you know and it's, it's in theaters. Yeah, it's called XX. Oh, interesting. And okay. she's one of the directors. Cool. I want to I wanna watch that. We should do that. Field trip. Yeah. <laughs> so, who's going to synopsize these movies? There are two movies that I want to do. Which ones do you want to do? I want to do The Hitchhiker, uh-huh. and I want to do Boxing Helena. Okay. I'll do Velvet Vampire. Well, then I'll, I'll, do, I'll tempt it. What's the other one? <laughs> Jennifer's Body. Oh, yeah. I'll talk about <laughs> That's fine. Well, then we need to start with The Hitchhiker. The Hitchhiker. This is going to be easy, right? Because yeah. it's, it's a very simple story. Yeah. It's uh, the, the, movie's, it. the movie's 70 minutes long. Oh, I need to tell you something about this movie. What, what about this movie? <laughs> Mom, what about this movie? <laughs> so at the beginning, there was some text that said, you know, this is based on real events. Um, it's yeah. a man, a gun, and a car. The man owns the gun. The man it owns the gun. to you. Yep, and the car could be you, your <laughs> car, or the car of the person across the aisle. Yeah. Um, this movie was meant to be based on real-life events. Okay. The only reason that it is not is that the motion picture production code wouldn't allow it because you're not, at the time, you were not allowed to show real oh. crime. So was there a real hitchhiker There was a killer? real hitchhiker serial killer. Uh, his name was Billy Cook, I believe that's correct. Okay. He had a bad life, uh, and he was a bad person. He, um, his mother died. His father took him and his siblings and they lived in an abandoned mine for a while and oh. then the father just took off and left the kids there that's they not were great no that's not great so they were able to find foster care for all of the children with the exception of billy because he was too he had too many problems oh geez he also did have a problem with uh, he had a deformed right eye just like the character in the movie mm. which i guess was partly partial partially the part of the problem why he couldn't get adopted mm. um at some point he committed a crime and they were going to send him back to foster care and he said i'd rather go to juvenile detention if you don't mind oh. so he would rather be in jail than be with a family okay so he went to jail he got out he robbed a taxi cab driver he went back to jail he got out he re he reunited with his father briefly hmm. and he told his father at that time i something along the lines of i am going to live by the gun and roam and, wow. then he, and then he took off and went on a killing spree. That's pretty cool if it wasn't for being horrible. <laughs> uh, also, he had he had tattooed, I think, on his left hand, the word hard luck. Okay. Um, Sounds like a villain in a Western. But, <laughs> yep. Okay. And so he took off. He, um, he kidnapped a man, stuffed the man in the trunk of a car, took off. 
uh, the guy that he stuck into the trunk of the car was a mechanic and was able to get out and run away. Oh, good for him. Then he got picked up by a family of five. A hmm. uh, mother, father, three children who are on vacation Why would you with pick their dogs. Hitchhiker with your family. Well, this ever. is this is probably why we feel this way about hitchhikers, right? Because there yeah. was a time when people could pick up hitchhikers and they weren't worried about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then, I, my guess is this is probably the beginning of why we don't pick up hitchhikers anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he killed the entire family Oof. and threw them down a well, including the dog. Well, he, just like in the movie. Yes, just like in the movie. Mm. Uh, then he picked up. I can't remember the, the precise order. At some point, he picks up a policeman, mm-hmm. and he doesn't kill the policeman. He ties him up and leaves him by the side of the road, and the reason that he gives later is that the, they are from the same town, oh. and he, the policeman's wife had been nice to him, so he didn't kill a policeman. Okay. He did later kill a salesman from Seattle. So, you know, in the movie, there was <gasps> yeah, a salesman from Seattle. Portland. Yeah. Killed. Yeah. Yeah. So he killed a man from Seattle. Mm, uh, he. I don't remember exactly how he got caught, but I do think he got caught. He may have gotten caught on the border of Mexico or in Mexico or so. Okay. Well, uh, what they, about this movie, though? Uh, in this movie, well, the movie, I don't know. Um, oh, I, yeah, I do know. Ida Lupino was at some kind of event, and she met. Oh, he did. He kidnapped two guys. Hmm. Um, they were the last two people that he kidnapped. Okay. And Ida Lupino somehow met one of them and interviewed him. And then she decided she wanted to make this movie. And so she got releases from the two guys who had escaped and from Billy Cook. She went oh. to the jail and spoke with him to get his, uh, to get a release from him, which made the corrections officer, I don't know, I'm not sure what level, like the warden or whatever, was very mm-hmm. upset by this sure. and contacted the motion picture production uh, company, motion picture production office or the... Um, MPPO? No, he he contacted the the Motion Picture Association, I believe. Okay. And he did not want this movie made. And because it was not, you know, it did break the code because it was a real life crime yeah. at current day. Uh, so they had to make certain changes. They couldn't use his name. They changed it to Emmett. Emmett. Miller. Emmett uh, Wyatt? Emmett Walsh? It was Miller. I think it was Miller. Myers. Myers. Emmett Myers. Emmett Myers. Yeah. yeah. So they changed all the names. They had to reduce the number of murders. Emmett Myers only murdered three people, not six or eight or however many ah, were actually murdered. Whew. Yeah. Um, so that's it. That's the story of <laughs> the Hitchhiker movie. Yeah. Um, so what happens in the Hitchhiker movie? Basically what I just said. Pretty much. Um, no, actually, I mean, it starts It starts off, He we see... Briefly, he kills a couple in a car. Mm-hmm. Then he kills another man, and then there, then we see for a little while these two friends who are going to Mexico to go fishing. Yeah, and they're you know they're getting down to the border towns, and they seem pretty happy about it. Mm-hmm. One guy wants to go see a fan dance, but his friend's asleep, so he can't. So they keep yeah. driving, and then uh, Emmett Myers Myers is uh, has this last car that he has stolen has run out of gas, and so he's hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. And they pick him up, and then there's, you know, about 50 minutes of him tormenting them and making them obey his every word mm-hmm. and yeah. occasionally physically threatening them. And they're, they are not allowed to speak to each other, basically. Mm-hmm. He's got, he, he was a good villain because he was very smart about everything mm-hmm. that he told them to do. He didn't make any mistakes. Um, and he made the two guys do a lot of the property damage and whatever. He just yeah. made them do it. Right. 
this but, movie, where was it? It was set in Baja, California, and they're making their way down to Santa Rosalia so that he could catch a ferry to Gu- Guaymas. Yeah. Right. And they, um, I thought it was... On mainland, the mainland of Mexico. Um, I thought it was interesting. I mean, they, this reminded me of Night of the Living Dead a little bit because it's very procedural. Um, they mostly, like, the plot's very thin, but they mostly focus on, like, what happens almost like on a mechanical level like oh their car breaks down so how are they going to deal with this well he's going to hide in the car while they fix it and tell them not to talk to anybody and it, it almost just kind of like there's not a lot of interpersonal drama they build the drama out of like well what do you think would happen in this situation and it's a lot of like well they need to stop for food how are they going to do this yeah. without getting shot the movie moves along by the things that they encounter the situations they encounter on the road yeah. one of the things that i read about this and i don't remember if it was in a review or or where was that um that the two men are basically playing the the female roles in this movie mm-hmm. and i kind of see that a little bit they are definitely they are, they don't have any power Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's a little unexpected in a movie from the 50s where there's these two guys, normal-sized, middle-aged white men, Dudes, yeah. um, totally powerless to do anything about their situation. And they really don't, like, they don't try and jump him or anything. They mostly just try and take care of each other and survive as best they can. They play it smart throughout the whole movie rather than playing it macho, which is how... (laughs) We would expect it. Yeah, how two guys would act in a movie. But they, you know, they seem to realize that... There's a smart way to play this situation, which is to put up with this jerk with the gun, put up with him until he, until they find their moment until to strike. Until there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and Emmett comments on the fact that, like, well, either one of you could have ran away, but because you took care of each other like wimps, now you're still stuck with me. Right. And he's right, but on the other hand, it's like that. That is the. Well, isn't that the difference between good guy, bad guy? A good guy and a bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really cared about each other and weren't gonna. The the guy who twisted his ankle, his friend was keeping him up right. to survive. The other thing that's happening while they're traveling, and they they're traveling mostly through these isolated areas of tumbleweed, basically nothing else. Yeah. Um, which also I thought lent to their inability to escape because there was nowhere to go. They yeah. were just driving through the desert. And at the same time, they're, we're intermittently seeing the police gradually getting closer and closer to finding them. Yeah. You, you know, first they the two guys are missing and they're looking where they think they are. Then they come to the realization that oh, we think Emmett Myers might have picked them up. Mm-hmm. Then they uh, one of the men does leave a clue at a gas station. He leaves his wedding ring, mm-hmm. which they find. And so they're gradually getting closer and closer and closer to actually catching them and saving the two men. Yeah. And they're doing that smart, too. Mm-hmm. Even then, you know, they weren't mm-hmm. bumbling. They were just doing, yeah. they were just going along. The American police and the Mexican police were being smart about how the radio was broadcasting the news to make it to trick the, to trick Emmett Myers in the movie to think that the police are off his trail when really they're not. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really, I was talking throughout the movie. I was talking throughout the movie like an Karen. asshole. <laughs> um, but I said in the movie that I liked how the, American police were portrayed and the Mexican police were portrayed oftentimes in 
we see in movies like the bumbling police officers who all think that they're right and are mm-hmm. all jerks and who you know Die are just are, yeah <laughs> are all doing the wrong thing and yeah. everyone can see that they're doing the wrong thing but here there was no frustration there's barely any frustration of like oh the police caught on to his plan pretty quickly and they're they're mm-hmm. working together i think that this movie had a good mark of like female director in it yeah. because uh, the tension the the tension in the movie was where it needed to be and nowhere else like everything about this movie was like smart i yeah. thought yep. i think so too i um i really liked how i mean part of this is sold by the the acting i think i mentioned that yes. when we were watching it like this could have been a stage play for 90 percent of the runtime mm-hmm. it's just the three of the two the three characters the bad guy and the two guys that picked him up just talking and threatening each other but the actor who played Emmett was so good and so sleazy and horrible that like the tension was there even if what was going on is like they're gonna have to change a tire but we're like hand me a sandwich (laughs) yeah but he was just so mean and nasty and scary through that whole time that it like made it exciting and he he had a deformed eye that wouldn't close so that they would never know whether he was asleep or not (laughs) when they were sleeping in the nighttime that was a good touch because yeah. Otherwise, we would just run away when he fell asleep. That's right. One thing I wanted to say was that they were driving through Baja, California, and I, I think that it's I don't I don't want to say that it's like you know they're driving through nothing towns because they were there were towns there there were people in those towns and bars and um, I don't know like a police station and whatever so it doesn't look like an American city and the cars are outdated in terms of like what an American city looks like but. They are towns and people do live there and they were driving, you know, there were people walking through the desert. There were people like Mexican people were, you know, driving in the roads and a guy with a donkey and firewood. And, you know, it wasn't just like a nothing place. It was populated by a lot of people there. So it just didn't look like Los Angeles or Arizona, but. I'm pretty sure it was Lone Pine because one of the places that I. Where they filmed it. Right. Right. Um, And the reason that I'm, I'm. Virtually certain is that uh, the Lone Pine Museum is one of the places where I found some information about Isla Lupino mm. and her career because she filmed there a few times. Okay. And this was one of the things that she filmed there, at least in part. Mm. Okay. So I was... And then they get away. Yeah. Well, yeah. not really. So they, they finally get to the destination where the ferry is supposed to be. There's no ferry. It's burned down and it won't be available for two months. Yeah. So they pay... A man, a character whose name we disputed. Yeah. I think his name was Jose. Um, Karen thinks his name was Jaime. I think it is Jaime because the barkeep said, my cousin Jaime. And they went to Jaime and then they talked to Jaime and then they bribed Jaime. But I don't know. Well, anyway, they gave yeah. him some money. They gave him yeah. some money to get his friend's boat so that they could get across to the other side. Yeah. Um, but when he goes to talk to his friend, mm-hmm. he sees a wanted poster of Emmett Meyer. Mm-hmm. So he knows that that's a problem and he calls the police immediately mm-hmm. another one of those like yeah. that never happens in movies no, the guy so saw refreshing. the thing and then he just called the police yeah <laughs> he was smart and they took care of it and it worked um yeah so he called the police um meanwhile uh, they're getting emmett why emmett myers mm-hmm. has uh forced roy to change clothes with him uh-huh. so that they'll think he is emmett because he he is very suspicious that mm-hmm. there may be police around the, the dock. Yeah. And so he forces Roy to walk down the dock alone with them following behind, uh, Roy and Gilbert. Gilbert yeah. is the other man. Roy and Gilbert, or Gilbert and Emmett are following behind in the shadows, and he's forcing Emmett, 
Roy. Roy to walk <laughs> in the light so that if anybody is watching, they will see him. And they do see him and they start shooting at him. Yeah. Uh, he manages not to get shot and he's right. yelling, I'm not Emmett, I'm not Emmett. And he hides under a, a some kind of plank, yeah. Br- yeah. Uh, you know, plank mm-hmm. walkway. Um, and Emmett tries oh, to run for it. Right? And then Roy and Emmett have it out. They have a fist fight. Roy knocks his gun away and knocks it into the water. And he seizes that opportunity. He's like, this is the time. Right. Yeah. He chops, uh, karate chops the gun out of his hand into the into the water. So then the police come down and they say, you know, stop. And and it works. And, and Emmett stops he, and they arrest him. Yeah, and he gets yeah. arrested. And then uh, Roy or Gilbert beats him up a little bit while yeah. the police are holding him. Yeah. That was that Roy. Roy was Roy. mad. This is one of those situations where the guy with the gun was telling the two guys without a gun, hey, you guys are so soft. You guys are wimps. You guys are like, you're not tough like me. If you were tough like me, you would have done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then yeah, um, you see in his face when he loses the gun, all of a sudden he's terrified. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So without that gun, he's a wimp. Right. Here's the other thing I liked about that scene where Roy is beating on him and the police pull him away. It's like, no, we're Stop. arresting him. Yeah. That's, yeah. You can't just beat on this man. Yeah. It's just like, oh, well, that's how that's supposed that's, to be. Yeah. That's how it, that's probably what would happen in real life. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But in a movie, I think the way that movies are now, they tend to want to gratify your desire for revenge. And Mm -hmm. so they let things happen that wouldn't happen. Yeah. This movie didn't do that. Another mark of just Ida Lupino being smart with um, her movie making, Mm -hmm. which is she just has it in the right places at the right times and nothing extra and nothing, um, you know, she she builds the movie up when it needs to be built up. But otherwise, it's just Mm -hmm. like, you know, the, she's not depicting the Mexican police as bumbling idiots. She's not depicting the American police as like, you know, super competent, super competent yeah. or macho. I don't know. She's just, she kept the movie really tight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good description. I think it is so. because she was very, cons- she was very um, concerned with budget. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that she planned so carefully, she would go to the set before anyone else would arrive mm-hmm. and make sure she knew where she wanted everything to be and what she wanted people to do that day. Because she was she was responsible with her budget, and mm-hmm. she knew that that would keep the budget to where it needed to be. I want to meet Ida Lupino. I should give you the book. I because would love a lot to of read is that it, book. It, it, a lot of it is quotes from her about her career. I I would probably be inspired by that. There's so many I don't know. There's just so many uh, female professionals that I've met who, in their work and in their life, they just have they are they come in prepared. They come in with thoughtful everything thought out you know because they know that they know what's at stake it's cool i, I want to read it i want to point out just because i don't think we've stated it uh explicitly so this is a black and white film um and it is beautifully shot which also helps because a lot of what's happening is is procedural there's a lot of scenes of a car driving while the music swells but it's shot in the desert it looks beautiful it's a beautiful location and it's very sh- it's shot beautifully all the way from start to finish. That well, scene when they're driving on the little hills yeah. super fast, it was incredible. The shot where it's it, the fil- the camera is obviously mounted on the back of a car right. that mm-hmm. is racing ahead of the protagonist's car that's going up and down these hills, and it's like super fast and nerve wracking, and it looks really cool. And it's like one kind of long take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's perfect. I forgot to mention that this was the first film noir directed by a woman as well. There are a lot of firsts in her career. I mean, and this, it was really a pretty excellent movie across the board. Yeah, from start to finish. Yeah. And I uh, probably should mention that most people would be familiar with the 
actor who played Emmett Meyer or Myers. Mm-hmm. Um, he went on to be the district attorney in a show called Perry Mason. Oh. Yeah, okay. I don't remember <laughs> the district attorney, but I remember that show. Yes. yes. He loses every case but one, and I think he won that one on a technicality. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, and the other thing, and this seems silly to say a little bit, but like of a lot of the movies we've watched, this is a movie that because it's so well done and so simple, like they could remake this movie. It would totally work nowadays. You could do a, a scary hitchhiker yeah. with this exact same plot and it would work. Who perfectly. would you cast? Ooh. I think Milo Ventimiglia would be a good Gilbert. Milo, I don't know who Milo is. <laughs> he's, from Heroes? He was in Heroes. He was in Gilmore Girls. He doesn't really, he's not really in anything anymore, but he's that. Was he Peter Petrelli? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Main guy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think that Milo Ventimiglia would make a great Gilbert. What about Roy? Ooh. Um, you want a young guy, I guess, to go with Milo? Mm-hmm. I mean, youngish mm-hmm. to go with Milo? It kind of depends. I mean,. You want a serious actor then. Not serious, yeah. but somebody who can play just kind of an average Joe. Um, you know who I would want to play, although it's not a serious actor? Uh, Nick Offerman is oh. one of the guys. He can, he can play serious. He can be though. a serious role. He, could, he would also make a good Gilbert. I think it would be yeah. cool if we did, if this movie was remade in modern times, mm-hmm. if we had like a trans actor as one of the... Um, Gilbert and Royer? Yeah, I think I think that maybe the, um, I don't know, a trans actor or a gay actor or something, I think mm-hmm. it would be very cool to remake the movie with that. One of the things that was interesting about this movie was their friendship, which was yeah. really super understated. Oh, yeah. We knew they were together, that they, I mean, they were going on a trip together. Yeah. Like, for multiple days to go fishing. Yeah. Buddy, buddy, yeah. two guys in a car. One is a mechanic, and I forget what... The what Gilbert's job was, it's but a the, draftsman. A draftsman. I'm not sure. I know is that, that like means. an architect or something? It's like what Reed does. Okay. All right. Um, my, my uncle. <laughs> okay. So that type a of draftsman. Draftsman. Uh, yeah. They. I don't know about their why they were friends, but they were friends. They did mention too that I think it was uh, Gilbert had had been in the war because he mentioned it early oh. on in the movie. This is the first time I've gone away from my home since the war. Oh, that's interesting. Which would have been only like five years before. I mean, he's a little old for it, but I would have Peter Stormare play Emmett in the modern. I was one. thinking Russell Crowe for some reason. Oh, that'd be good. That would be good Big too. Big scary dude. Yeah, excellent. He, that, I don't. That's my only complaint is that Russell Crowe is big and Emmett wasn't big. No, he's kind of I, a wiener. Yeah, and I think that actually was a good choice. It makes it work because after he gets his gun knocked away, it's like. Oh, yeah, he really can't fight Gilbert or Roy. He's a little guy. These guys are both, they could beat him up easily. Um, Yeah, I think a remake would be cool. What a good movie. Yeah, I love The Hitchhiker. So there you go. That's The Hitchhiker. Okay. Karen, you want to walk us through The Velvet Vampire? Yeah, try. Oh, The Velvet (laughs) Vampire. Well, I do have to say that this movie, the opening scene of this movie is, um, it shows the church where my family uh, yeah, attended yeah. ever since I guess my parents moved here in the 1980s well moved to Los Angeles in the, in the 1980s so um, I I saw that church and I was like holy shit that's like where I go for Christmas every year for Christmas <laughs> yeah. mass that's where my family still goes that's You're the Velvet Vampire shout out to St. Basil's on Wilshire Boulevard so <laughs> that's that's the opening scene um, then the movie continues with who we see is the velvet vampire does anyone remember her name jennifer diane her name's diane diane yeah. Le Fanu. yeah is that her last name Le Fanu. oh 
Um, I wanted to mention, we should probably mention, this is an exploitation film from 1971. Mm. Oh boy, it feels uh, like it. Yes, it sure does. It feels like something you'd watch in a drive-in, and it, so it's okay. In the, after that opening scene, you see uh, Diane's character. Uh, she's walking alone in the dark, and someone comes after her, and she stabs that attacker with a knife that I don't know where she got it from. He's got the knife. He's got the knife. She she takes it. She stabs him. I think the point of that is to show that she can take care of herself. I I don't know. Not sure what the point of that was. But then the movie goes on to um, a couple, a young couple in a bar who are, I think, pretending. It's an art gallery. An art (gasps) gallery. That's right. It is an art gallery. It's like where you meet people type of art gallery. I guess that was like. There's a lot of very bad sculptures. Yeah, pretty bad. So, but that's, that's like the hip joint. So this young couple who you don't know is a couple, but they, they kind of come up to each other and they pretend like they don't know each other, which is really weird. Made it super confusing for like half an hour. And it seemed really unnecessary. Yeah. But apparently like they, they actually do know each other. And then, um, and they're married. They're married. Mm-hmm. Diane enters the art gallery and she talks to the, hu- the husband. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, into it hello. because she's beautiful or whatever. And then um, huh, they leave the art gallery. This is just a... I That's, remember the main points. I'm going to yeah. do the main points. So, at, Well, at the art gallery, Diane invites the couple to come to her home. The wife is jealous mm-hmm. because yeah. there's obvious be. stuff going on between mm-hmm. them. There's some and then chemistry. they go home. They go home and then they then I guess cut to a scene of them driving and possibly lost. <laughs> We're watching Jacob eat the um, mm, garnish on his cocktail. Flower. <laughs> I don't know um, why he's eating it. But it's not good. they're driving, you know, somewhere in California. It looks like they're driving on the five. They're driving through the desert and they lost. And then the guy says, hey, we should stop. We should look for Diane's house. I think she lives around here. Yeah. Uh, so they wind up at Diane's desert home. Their car break. Well, they start at a gas station. The gas attendant is weird to them and also says Diane lives that way. Yeah, he's like. And their I... car breaks down. Yeah, so he, he refuses to give them gas in the beginning. No, that's the mechanic. Oh, that's the mechanic. There's a mechanic oh, and a lady right. in a van. So the, mecha- and the mechanic says, I don't give gas. Yeah, and then another, the gas attendant comes out and then he gives the Yeah, super weird. There's I'm a lot of unnecessary, unnecessary weird things in this movie that just take up a lot of time. It sure does. But the, all three of those characters come back. Yeah, just... To what end? <laughs> yeah, so they get to Diane's house. Um, picks them up in a, in a dune buggy, which yeah. is important later. Yeah, they're riding in an ATV or something. No, uh, dune buggy. A dune, dune buggy. buggy. Is that what a, they're called? They have yep. a sexy conversation about dune buggies. Because they're for, after. they're for driving over sand oh, dunes. Oh, rice. Yeah, rice. Right. Um, <laughs> it looks just like Speed Buggy from the old cartoon. It looks identical to Speed Buggy. So what happens is, um, first, Diane kind of seduces the guy mm-hmm. and and then she later seduces the wife. Uh, I'm skipping a lot of points here, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Like the movie just honestly doesn't. It looked it, it, it looked beautiful. There's a lot of cool ideas of how to shoot a scene. Um, you know, it being in the desert, and it just looked very editorial, really magazine like spread but there was nothing really happening in this movie at all. I like all. the dream sequences. The dream though. sequences yeah. were great and also looked like it could be out of a magazine spread or something. Well let me add some stuff to this recap none of which has any meaning I think yeah, but you... I, I want to add to this so that we can bring it up when we talk about it. Uh, Diane has 
potentially supernatural powers mm-hmm. where it's never quite defined but she the dreams they have are semi-prophetic and, they and they're felt it. by the people in the dream yes so the man dreaming the husband who's dreaming something the wife next to him is dreaming it too yes or if she's dreaming something then the husband can it. experience the dream as well and it's implied diane also is aware of these, like she's having these dreams she's or projecting aware. these she's watching them too yeah. don't forget yeah she's we sitting behind a two-way mirror yeah is that what she's doing oh, i thought yeah. she was listening in through a no she's just look, she's something. just looking through the mirror on the wall no at them clue. i did not understand that we we kind of suspected it but later in the movie the wife actually finds the mirror and the room did not understand that at all and and juan the dead body of juan is in there yeah okay. oh we forgot i forgot to mention you that mention throughout juan. the movie you know the velvet vampire diane she's the velvet vampire mm-hmm. right she you know sucks the blood out of some people and (laughs) just stores them in her home and she has a renfro his name is juan who apparently was a native it gets a little racist yeah it's kind of i wasn't exactly sure he's a native american they say that well and his tribe was wiped out her his family gets wiped out she says she has this like servant who she says is her brother juan her adopted brother juan find out that she, he's her brother now, but actually she was an adult when she adopted him because she's probably immortal. Um, he is from the local tribe. They don't name the tribe. His family was all wiped out, probably in uh, older, olden times, probably by white settlers. It's not exactly clear. She t- took one in, and his tribe hates him now as a result. Because well, they and he like also her. does bring people to her for her to eat. Yes. Uh, including the mechanic that we saw at the beginning comes over and... Yeah, he, he wrestles her, him to the ground. Juan kills him so that she can uh, eat him, I guess. It's very racist and not very well explained. Yeah, I was. it was really unclear to me what race Juan was mm-hmm. and what tribe kind of tribe they were talking about mm-hmm. yeah it was very vague also they introduce him as like her renfro and then she kills him almost like the scene immediately following his the explanation of who he is well she so, was hungry yeah <laughs> this movie yeah there's a lot of nonsense there's... in this movie that's part of the problem eventually uh so after uh diane kills and sucks the blood out of um blonde ladies what's her name I don't uh, remember. Susan and... Susan and... Is it Greg? Uh, maybe. Let's say it is, but I don't think it is. Yeah, so Susan's husband. So yeah. after she kills Susan's husband... You can call him Groovy. Groovy. He was, he was the host of a show called Groovy that was filmed in <laughs> Santa Mr. Monica Groovy. Beach. <laughs> so after Diane kills Mr. Groovy, uh, Susan is really messed up by this, and she eventually finds... She flees. She flees, but she first she finds the body of her... Of her dead husband, mm-hmm. some stuffed in behind a curtain or something. Yeah, just kind of and she's out. like, oh my God, this is terrible. She screams. She does a lot of screaming in this. She's she very sure good does. at screaming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she flees. What happens? Eventually, I, like, I kind of like the, the flight. I like yeah. the flight part. Me too. Scary. She gets on yeah. the bus and, I mean, she. Diane's on the oh, bus. The gas guy, the guy that gave, didn't, that gave them gas at the beginning, picks her up when she's running away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Takes her to a bus stop. A bus stops. She gets on it. Mm-hmm. And then you see that the vampire's on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, she's wearing a really good outfit, too. They, she is. And there, there are some, like, in isolation, there are some cool parts oh, in this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, it just doesn't hang together <laughs> at really all. Hard. So 
you know, Susan is trying to flee. She's got trying to get a bus out of this dusty town and mm-hmm. just be like, oh, this is terrible. Um, the vampires on the same bus as her, they get off at the same stop. It looks like they get off at some market. They they run through some sort of market. She and gets that's, on a transit station and goes to the police. Oh, okay. And then for whatever reason, you said they, you don't see what they're saying. You're like above at the top of the escalator and you're watching her talk yeah. to this policeman mm-hmm. and he's taking notes and he obviously gestures, I'm going to be gone for two minutes, mm-hmm. stay here. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. of course she doesn't stay there. She, she sees runs, Diana. She, she runs, runs away. For yeah, and then they run through like some oh, sort the of best part's coming up. outdoor <laughs> marketplace and then she realizes that crosses <laughs> scared crosses Diane. Yeah. So there's a... There's there's an outdoor market stall, and she just grabs a cross off of the um, off the stall to the chagrin of the stall owner. I think yeah, it's momentary like, chagrin. Yeah, he but then around. she's like, you know, she's holding a cross. Diane is coming after her, but she holds the cross in front of Diane, and she's like, "This is cross is keeping her away." And then all these random townspeople gather together. Everybody grab crosses. Grab a cross, and they they all grab crosses and ward off Diane, who eventually like dies in the sun. She's weakened. She yeah. had mentioned <laughs> way back at the beginning something about the sun and being it. a problem, but she goes out in the sun oh, all the time. Oh, she rides her dune buggy out through the desert. She just didn't have her shade hat. Yeah, she's <laughs> always wearing a shade hat, and she is often, I mean, she's always fully clothed, like with yeah. a cape over her in yeah. the hot sun. So, Turtleneck. And that kind of falls away when she falls down. Mm-hmm. The, it's like she's weakened by the crosses. Mm-hmm. Her I have some complaints about off. this. Her, yeah. her shirt opens and then she bursts into flames. Maybe it's not, it was it, off. It's implied. Yeah, it's implied. It was off screen, but yeah. yeah. Then Susan's really distraught and she calls who? That guy. It was the museum guy. Yeah. Ah, she calls the museum that. guy and she's like, "Oh my god, your friend Diane is a nut job." Her <laughs> like, where, "Where did you meet her? How do you know her?" <laughs> he gaslights her pretty hard. Yeah, he's like, "What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> she's not a vampire. She just maybe doesn't like crosses she, and likes to drink. She blood. has some sort of genetic thing. She's she told me she was sick once and and now I guess she just acts like a vampire because she believes she's a vampire. But <laughs> by the way, I'm a vampire. Yeah, he totally is a vampire. <laughs> and then the movie ends with um, Susan just facing off. Her eyes are the only thing on the screen. And she's facing off with this guy who's about to kill her, perhaps? Yeah, I assume. Yeah. And that's how the movie ends. The just end. standard horror movie ending. Yeah. So it was it was really I don't know. There's yeah. I'm not I'm not giving a very good summarization. There's no way but good there was it's a crazy movie. Yeah. There's, there's a scene where she's well, I don't know, she gets out of her Jeep, uh, the the wife. She gets out of the Jeep Takes off her covering. She's, She's wearing a bikini. Sits down yeah. Throws down a towel on the road, I guess. Yeah. Like in the parking lot. And then he's, you know, getting a tan. And then a snake comes and bites her. Yeah, it, <laughs> it like slithers up all the way to her neck before she notices it. Uh, so that 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 was a weird scene too. I just remembered where yeah, she. No, I think it was her thigh because then Diane sucks the blood out of her thigh. Yeah. Oh no 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 though the the so the snake the the bite is on her thigh but the snake like lands on her chest oh, like yeah, it goes man, all the way up to her chest and there's yeah. a scene where she's just like looking at this snake on her chest. It happened to bite her on her thigh on its way <laughs> up, but that happened when Diane and. Mr. Groovy were in some barn just (laughs) fooling around and the wife was like oh you know I'll just sunbathe whatever. There's also that scene where uh, Groovy and Diane are having sex Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the wife comes down in her baby doll nightgown and she's watching it but not saying anything and then but but there she's got full-on eye contact with Diane. Yeah. Yeah. Well I was also going to bring up my favorite nonsense in this movie which is early on they established Diane had a husband she still pines for. They find his grave, which is 
not, like hollow. And it's not covered with dirt. It's not covered with dirt. And she explains to <laughs> Diane and Gro- or Susan and Groovy like, oh, he was uh, prepared for burial by the native people in a way where he must have the desert air to preserve him, which is why I can never move out of the desert even though I live off by myself. Then later you see her sleeping nude with her deceased husband and then it's never mentioned again and that's the end of the plot. <laughs> that's yeah. the end of that plot thread. But yeah. that is the way that you find out. I mean, the one the one thing that that does is you find out she's hundreds of years old because he his mm-hmm. death was a long time. But she like, explains that. She tries to explain like, it away. My husband is his great-great-grandson and we just buried him in, my, in his great-great-granddad's grave because grave diggers stole great great granddad's body but there's an empty space so let's just they have the same name let's just yeah, put them in yeah. there it's efficient wow what a dumb movie but they did meet the boob quota meet, they met the butt yeah. quota lots of boobs lots of butts yeah yeah they weren't great though I mean, yeah well the boobs and butts were fine they were fine they were all like you know everyone looked like like standard 70s magazine people <laughs> yeah. I also... Uh, oh, I got a real strong Star Trek vibe off of this. I got well. a very strong Mystery Science Theater 3000 vibe. <laughs> it would have been good for this. very bad. It has a lot of plot threads that don't go anywhere, and everyone talks very slowly, like on a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie, where mm-hmm. they would talk and then have a long break. Um, one thing I also we talked about, Karen and I talked about before we came over here, is that in the final scene with Diane, she's surrounded by these people with crosses, she cowers in fear in the sun, and it's obviously affecting her. And then we cut to, like, a fireplace, implying that she caught on fire, I guess. <laughs> and then she has this conversation with the museum curator, who's like, well, you might think she's a vampire, but actually she's not for all these reasons. Um, but that only works because the movie doesn't show you how she died. Because if she caught on fire in the sun, she's a vampire. And right. if she had a heart attack, she's not. So the movie just sidesteps that by not showing you what happened and just being like, yeah, she's dead. We won't tell you how. I think you missed, I think you blinked because they did show her on fire. I think they cross cut. No. They fade out of her and fade into a fireplace. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. So oh, she, so there I is a fire because he says, she says, well, what about the sun? And he's just like, eh. Well, that makes sense though because there's no special effects in this movie, right? They don't have no. any budget for any kind of effect. What do you think they did with the snake? Was that a fake a snake? snake? That was a real snake. Yeah. I think it just wasn't a poisonous one is my guess. Mm. Um, I want to say two little bits of trivia. One I've already said. This guy was the host of a show called Groovy, Groovy. that was that was um, in Santa Monica. I believe my brother may have been on that show. <gasps> um, as a tiny, as a very small <laughs> boy. They had like contests. and Mini Groovy. Auntie Maggie would, knows this better than I do because I would have been a toddler at right the time. Right in Auntie Maggie and Uncle John. Right. But Tweet. I believe he was in like a contest where you like dig to find dollar bills in the sand or something like oh. that. <laughs> well, he is on Twitter, so he should tweet at us. Yeah. We definitely saw it being filmed. Uh, maybe I, I might not even have been there because I would have been baby. a baby small person. But that's one. Um, the other one is that the woman who played Diane LaFeno, who mm-hmm. I, I don't know that actress's name, she is in an episode of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. There's an episode of, and she looks exactly like she should be. Uh, there's an episode of Star Trek called, I believe, The Apple, which is an episode where they go down to a planet with some primitive people who uh, have a god named Vol that they have to give um, like explosive rocks to or something. <laughs> like and then Trek. he feeds them and takes care of them. They're not allowed to. Oh. They're not allowed to be to have sex. Um, but then they see Chekhov and this 
woman who's his love interest in this episode kissing oh, and it kind of girlfriend for an episode for an episode yeah and she plays the she plays the girlfriend um oh I... and she also in that episode does some fighting she's oh. a red shirt who does not get killed hey, she actually her. defends herself physically i was also gonna say that following up on what i mentioned about um hitchhiker there's actually some stuff in this movie conceptually that's really cool they could use the the idea of a desert vampire is yeah. kind of a good concept yeah. it's just not used super for well for sure yet. like a, a, you know vampires don't go out in the sun and here is this vampire who lives in the desert and yeah. with a horse with no name just kidding uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah it's a, there there are some cool ideas in this movie like I said before mm-hmm. it's also like really cool looking in some parts great costumes yeah, yeah. and I, I feel like this movie must have influenced the Love Witch, which was another I movie think so that we too. saw. And in like particular, it. the red dress that yeah. she wears at the beginning, mm-hmm. and the you know she drives the same kind of car, and yep. everything is from the seventies. Yeah, I mean, Karen mentioned how cool it was when we were watching it to have a horror movie set in the desert, and like you get conceptually, it's great because it's so scary. They can't really leave her house; their car's broken down, and they're yeah. just stuck there. They can't really run anywhere either. It's, yeah, uh, I mean. It reminds me in some ways of Ravenous because in that they're stuck out in the snow in the mountains. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's nothing you can do. You just have to survive. Where the environment is kind of like a villain in a way as yeah. well. They're fighting against the odds of being in the <laughs> desert. I thought this movie, uh, I just, I this movie was so gendered. It's just like, yeah. you know, this this wife's husband is just openly grossly flirting with this other woman and and he you know he's always telling her to be quiet or just like you know, being dismissive of her and they're all very unlikable yeah right. every single person in this movie i kind of like that dynamic though because we had the vampire they they were they sometimes seemed to be under her thrall mm-hmm. um they yeah. both they kind of had a swingers vibe. Like, yeah, yeah, they're kind of like yeah, okay, okay with it or getting around to being okay. Right. With it. I mean, she sees her husband having sex with her, and the the next day she's mm-hmm. a little ticked off. Yeah, yeah. and just then a little. Mi- minutes later she's fine again. Yeah. And then she has a, develops a crush on the lady too. Yeah. And then the guy gets really upset because now it's like, oh, what about oh, me? Yeah. Sort of thing. No, I'm on the outs. No, my dreams are bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that movie. I don't really. I don't really even know what to say or what commentary about it, other than some parts looked cool and some scenes were cool. But it was just a terrible movie. I hated it. We had to <laughs> watch another boring. movie afterwards, or we watched something after we watched Prometheus. that. No, we, no, we watched Prometheus after Jennifer's body. We didn't watch body. another movie after The Velvet Vampire. Oh, we that, not that night. We probably watched The Great British Baking Show. Yeah, which is not what this podcast is about. But shout out to that show. Yeah, great show. Uh, so our favorite movie, Boxing Helena. <laughs> okay, I took some notes about this movie. Please. So, um, although they're they're kind of weird notes. Well, that's appropriate. Can you, I had I had texted you and said, "Have you watched the movies?" And you <laughs> we said, did. "We watched Boxing Helena. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. We could hardly get to the end of it." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then, yesterday morning, while when my, did you watch this? By the yesterday morning. Oh, gross. That's <laughs> my, the worst way to watch. My it. husband and daughter went to art class. Yeah, and I I didn't want to subject them to the watching the movie, so I yeah, that's got, not a movie for children I, or teens um, or adults. Or I people. went to my what is essentially my office <coughs> where I stand at a computer all day and mm-hmm. do my technical writing. Uh, I turned on the movie, and I also decided I would do some research while I, into the movie while mm-hmm. I was watching it, so that I wouldn't have to stare 
I'd be all by myself in this room staring at this movie, which I had seen. Be- I saw it in the 90s. I think Karen and I both did other stuff while we were watching this movie, but it still wasn't enough. Yeah. But doing the stuff that I did actually made it a little... It, it was a very weird feeling to watch this movie and be reading about this movie at the same time. Mm-hmm. Then I kind of got focused on the music. Um, one of the things that I think may- is why this movie is so upsetting is the romantic oh, yeah. quality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they use a lot of opera in this as their sound back, background sound. So I wrote this stuff down. Oh, okay. can, I, can I say oh. one thing, which mm-hmm. is that both The Velvet Vampire and Boxing Helena, we watched on, Karen and I watched on YouTube, which they are available in full. Oh, that's yeah. the only way you can watch Boxing Helena. <laughs> uh, you could try to buy, I, I looked into buying a DVD. They must be pretty rare because the cheapest one was $44. Oh, Gross. Don't watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Don't give anybody Don't spend money. your money on this. This is a terrible movie. <laughs> so kind of, tell All us right. what this movie's about. Well, so I wrote down some notes. One thing, Jennifer Lynch wrote this movie when she was 19. So keep that in mind. That kind that's, of makes some sense, though. <laughs> uh, the, the producer wanted to make a movie about this concept, I guess, of being in... Uh, what was the concept? It has something to do with the, the statue of the Venus de Milo, which people think is quite beautiful, but it has no arms. And that was, I think that's kind of the germ for where this okay. idea came I from. I see that. Um, I think you have to describe this movie yeah. so the viewers know why that's the germ of this movie. I'll get there. Let me just okay. finish a few more things about Jennifer Lynch. Um, he he saw Jennifer Lynch at a poetry reading, apparently, and asked her to write this movie. And she was not on board at first, but then she kind of came around when to it. When she was it. 19? At 19. It's kind of so cool. She wrote the script at 19. She directed it when she was 21. So it took a couple of years for them probably to get, you know, funding. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know why he picked her as a director. Had she ever directed anything before? I don't think so. Uh, she she assisted her dad, probably. I yeah. think that's right. Um, and then it was released when she was about 25. I mean, you see some David Lynch elements in this a movie lot. just done very poorly. Um, a couple of, this movie was controversial before it was released, by the way. Not not because of the subject matter. Oh. Um, originally, Madonna was cast as the, what's that actress's name? Sherilyn, the character, yeah. the woman who played Helena. She's who a- was in Twin Peaks. Yeah, she was Audrey Horn in Twin Peaks. And then she was, she was also <laughs> in Gilmore Girls. Imagine she, who'd she play? Luke's. Um, Luke's ex-girlfriend who's the mother of his kid <laughs> so she wasn't originally slated to play Helena and Julian Sands who plays the doctor was originally uh, uh, cast uh, the person who was originally going to play that part was Ed Harris uh, oh, oh. <laughs> okay I was um, surprised to see that when we watching Julian Sands has been in lots of stuff yes. a million things mostly, can, mostly can Warlock but he's, I mean, he's still in stuff now. And I yeah. was like, oh, I don't recognize him. But I think he was just in don't recognize last him year. anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, originally, Ed Harris and Madonna. Madonna backed out. Good. Good uh, then it was going to Kim Bassinger. And this is where it got controversial. Um, Kim Bassinger wanted to make changes. They didn't want to make changes. She quit. Hmm. This caused her to be sued. They were suing her for $5 million. Wow. Which it was something that had never really happened before. Um, it meant, you know, because people back out of productions from time mm-hmm. to time. And there's not like, you don't get sued for it. It's just a thing that happens. I think this might have been the first time that this went all the way to where, yeah, she was sued and she and she lost. Oh. And then she went bankrupt. Oh no, Kim Basinger. And in the meanwhile, Ed Harris, because it had been 18 months 
and they hadn't even started making the movie yet, he quit. Yeah, he backed out, I'm sure. Um, he didn't. They didn't sue him because he had legitimate reasons. He was like, I need to be working right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she went bankrupt. Then the 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 amount of money that she had to pay them was reduced. As it is. Um, and that was so. That was before the movie even they even started making the movie. Mm. It was all over the front pages that this stuff was happening, and it was big news. And I remember Ooh. it. Um, so then they made this movie, and then it came out. And um, in interviews before it comes out, Jennifer Lynch and the producer are like, well, we hope it's not overshadowed by this previous stuff that happened. Mm. And then it came out, and they were like, you know, women's groups protesting it, mm-hmm. people who wouldn't even go see it because of the subject matter, etc. Yeah. So what happens in this movie? Yeah. So here's what happens in this movie. It's terrible. It's a uh, Jacob's Ladder situation. It's Just not a Jacob. Oh, it is a Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> yes. in, in a way. In, in Jacob's mind. Yeah. Um, and I want to I wanna try to do my notes at the same time. So uh, the movie starts with... How does the movie start? Oh, I What's barely remember. What's the opening sequence of this movie? Mm-mm. Oh, he's at a hospital. Yeah, he's, no. uh, all the, the opening sequence just shows that he's a surgeon. Yeah, I'm making a confused face. And yeah, then he goes probably... home, and I think his girlfriend's name is Nancy. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Or Susan? I thought they were married, and then later, another movie where it's unclear she's what their relationship just a is. Felt, she's a doctor at the hospital that they work at, um, but, but they're, they're in a relationship. Dating. Right. Yeah. So she comes home, and she, you know, she's making dinner Birth- for them. Yeah, it's like a birthday dinner. Um, is it his birthday? I thought and it he, was. Maybe not. Something. He decides to go out for a run. He runs and runs. Oh, but we've seen. Uh, no, there is an important scene before that. He's in a bar with Art Garfunkel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Art Garfunkel oh, is another doctor oh, yeah. at the hospital with a hilarious haircut. Uh, you know. <laughs> so post surgery, he goes to this bar. They go to a bar and yeah. he sees Helena, and this is where they make it obvious that he's obsessed with her. Yeah. His doctor friend is saying you need to just forget her. He can't. And eventually, I think he leaves because he's so mm-hmm. uncomfortable being in a room with her. No, he not just leaves. He says, we have to get out. Of-. Like, he meets right. his friend for a drink, does not have a drink. He says, we have to get out of here. And then him and his friend step out of the bar, and he's like, well, I'm going home. See ya. <laughs> and that was like, what is going on? All right. So then he gets home. Then his girlfriend's making him dinner. And he says, I'm going to go for a run. So he goes for a run. Run, run, run. He runs over to Helena's house <laughs> where the where the where she's in an upper story in her bedroom, I guess. Yeah, and all the windows all are open, and there's... Yes, and she's there's scenes of her being sexy. She's windswept. He climbs a tree so he can get a better look. Yeah. And, okay, so there's a song playing, and the song is Woman in Chains by Tears for Fears. is playing while he is in the tree spying on her. And uh-huh. it's not a creepy song. No. It's a totally a love song, right? Yeah. This, go, this is a theme throughout the whole movie. And she mostly is just walking around sexily in front with of the With a window. glass and like a, rubbing her yeah. chest and whatnot. Yeah. And then you see she's actually having sex with Bill Paxton. Oh, Bill Paxton <laughs> in this movie is so great. That's the only good thing in this movie. Is he great? Yes, his outfits, his, his, his just hair. shitty yeah. attitude. Yeah, so she's, they're having, you know, softcore porn sex. Yeah. And he's watching it and he's getting increasingly upset. Like, yeah. But not Helena. like manly, angry, upset. Just like, it's like my I'm, heart's breaking upset. I'm a frustrated, creepy man in a yeah. tree, and I wish that were me, sort of. But I think the problem with it is he's not presented as creepy. There's nothing about this movie He looks like he's in love. Yes, yeah. he's presented as a person in love. They're portraying it that way, but I can see through it. <laughs> I can really see through that, that there's no love here. This is just a creepy pervert, <laughs> evil Captor man. Right. But I don't think the movie's trying to make no. you feel it's that way. It's very hard to that's tell. That's the problem. That's the worst part of this movie like, is the 
how it's supposed trying to make you feel versus how you actually yeah feel. i am not gonna feel sorry for this person no matter what fucking soundtrack is playing <laughs> and no matter how sensual and soft the scene looks like, all of this is fucked up yeah. one of the quotes from a, a review of someone interviewing uh, one of the women's groups leaders uh, said something like, if this is what Jennifer Lynch thinks love is, I hope no one ever falls in love with her. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's, ni- like you said, like her being 19 might influence, you know, what her con- concept yeah, of so mess, love up, is though. or what her concept of, I don't know, everything <laughs> is. All right, let's move on. He goes back. His girlfriend has since fallen asleep. Yeah, she's, yeah. Because he didn't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't precisely remember what happens after that. But he then arranges a party. Because mm-hmm. he wants Helena to come over to his house. Mm-hmm. He arranges an elaborate party, not to have a party, but for the sole purpose of inviting her to it so she will be there. He calls her, but doesn't say anything so he can hear. She, he's going to call her, but he hears uh, Bill Paxson in the background. He like comes oh, to the right. He does a creepo oh, phone and call. In that scene, she gets mad because somebody hung up on her. And they're in the middle of having oh, sex when he yeah, calls. Bill Paxton. She gets mad. She gets up. Bill Ka- Paxton gets mad because they're not having sex anymore. And so yeah. he goes back to the bar to find somebody else to have sex with. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things in this movie is that everybody is as unlikable as possible. But like, the, our Garfunkel's not. Uh, he's, he's fine. He's, he's somewhat helpful neutral. to the bad guys. <laughs> but, I mean, Helena is... Nasty, mean, all the time in every scene. Right, and I will say that both changes weird. that Kim Basinger wanted for that character was to make it more likable. Well, that would have been a good change. <laughs> I I don't know. So yeah, she was a terrible person, but some of the things that she was upset about, I would be kind of like, the, oh sure, I would be like this guy invited me to this party he stole my address book he's insisting that i meet him in person mm-hmm. to get my address okay, book you're like... getting ahead of the story oh sorry <laughs> sorry 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 so he, he has this party uh for the sole purpose of having her go there in the and he when she gets there all he does is stare at her the whole time yeah and while he's while he's uh and there's a scene where she takes off her dress and gets into a fountain oh my i think God. that's a baller move actually she just <laughs> a, arrives to the party and she's like fuck everyone here and she just takes off her clothes and goes in the fountain it's kind of a cool it's a cool signature Slow-mo move most sexy dancing <laughs> yes. in the fountain while and she is dressed like athena in a black mm-hmm. dress very very grecian and her hair is up like a greek god mm-hmm. she yeah. takes off her dress she gets into the water and he's just staring at her the whole time. She also and, puts her moves on his friend. The yes. The guy who looks like the back, one of the Backstreet Boys. But mm-hmm. while he's obsessing over her at the party, the music is hyper-romantic. Mm-hmm. It is um, O Mio Bambino Caro, which is a, uh, an opera. Can you sing it for us? No, I cannot. <laughs> um, but you know who can sing it? That little girl that was going to sing it, Donald Trump's oh. uh, inauguration. This is one of the songs that she sings. Oh, great. Um, and the, what that means is, the, the title of it means, Oh My Dear Father. It's the name of this aria, um, and then it transitions to like one of the one of the soundtrack songs, which is the fountain song, which was written for this movie, uh, but has like some female vocals behind it. But it's all super romantic, mm-hmm. and all of the opera, all of the um, arias that they use in this are from the romantic period, which is why they're so lush, and you don't associate them with a creepy guy obsessing mm-hmm. over a woman, and they don't use it to that effect either. No, they don't. They totally. It's it not is, played ironically. No. Um, so, oh, she gives him her scarf to hold, which he then gives to the guy, his friend. His friend takes it from him. Mm -hmm. 
She leaves. She shortly thereafter leaves with his friend. Well, he confronts her with his girlfriend hiding behind a door because he just kind of blows her off. <laughs> and he has a conversation with Helena with his girlfriend in the room that's like, ah, come back. Why are you leaving? Yes. And he sounds, his whole character sounds exactly like Jacob's voice yeah. just now. It, this he guy has, is so pathetic. He is completely without power. Spineless. He's a wimp. Creepy, wimpy. I, I think she leaves her purse. No, he's, he must take the uh, she address leaves, book. She leaves her purse. She she wants, you're right, she leaves her purse um, there. She leaves with the guy, and then later on she's like, hey, I left my purse yeah, there. No, she's not like, she's like, I demand you bring my purse now. Mm-hmm. He's like, <laughs> well, what if he just came on a date with me, and then I could give it to you? Well, she he meets her at the airport, because she's like, come meet me. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going out of town. You need to come to the airport and give me my shit yeah. here. Uh, he goes to the airport, but he's like, you should come back with me. He gives her her purse, but her address book isn't in it. Oh, right, he, right, right, and right. And he also shows up late, so she misses her flight and can't leave. So I would be fucking pissed, too, if I were her, but she goes, oh, go right. ahead. Right. So then they go back to his house to get her address book, and the song that's playing <laughs> is Musetta's Waltz from La Boheme, an opera, another opera from the Romantic period. And, uh, La Boheme is about, yeah. uh, is a love story. Aww. And it's a very romantic piece. Um, meanwhile, he has lured her back there and back there under false pretenses, mm-hmm. which he proves because he's got the address book. He's wants her to eat lunch and he lifts up the platter lid and there's her address book. And she is as mad as you should be. Yes, she's very angry. And she leaves the house and kind of backs away from him into the street and is hit by a truck. Yes, and you see that her, runs legs over get her legs get squished. Right. It's horrible. Cut to the next day or some point in the future. <laughs> and yeah. I, they probably show some scenes of statues without limbs before you mm-hmm, see mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. she is in his she is in a bed with no legs. He has tri- he has amputated both her legs. Yes, his friend visits. Red Foreman comes by, the oh, other right. surgeon, and is like, "Hey, man, I haven't seen you at the around the surgeon's office for a few days." We have to um, make clear what their relationship is because. The reason why he doesn't tell anyone. He wants his job. Yeah. They they were competing mm-hmm. for that that surgeon that surgery that was at the beginning of the movie. Right. And so he yeah. I think he says, I will I'll back you if you don't tell anyone that I've got Helena here. Yeah, if I haven't imprisoned and amputated this woman's legs, if you don't tell anyone that, you can have my job. Yeah, so the guy's like, heck yeah, okay. All right. The other, the other thing that's very romantic about this movie, and I, I didn't notice it until he brings it's her the... It's all romantic. What do you mean? <laughs> I didn't notice it until he brings her the wheelchair. Yeah. It's a wooden wheelchair with like a velvet, like a like a burgundy velvet seat. And basically that's all of the furniture. All of the mm-hmm. furniture in his house is romantic floral he's inherited it from his mom though oh we yeah, so forgot to talk about so his mom the, be- the, whole, the whole beginning of, it, it kind of explains why this guy is such a i don't it know weirdo does, you know? it's just his mom like the love that he never got from his mom i guess is what he wants from other ladies and she's a she's, prostitute maybe she's a sexy lady yeah his know. father was a doctor they obviously had some kind of weird his yeah. parents obviously had some kind of weird uh, free relationship his mother didn't want a child that was made yeah. pretty obvious um, and then there's this statue of venus with no arms at the bottom of the stairs below his mother's bedroom mm-hmm. where he sometimes accidentally or on purpose witnesses her having sex with random people and she knows it and is like whatever yeah Yeah. so he the reason why at the beginning like he was at a funeral he was at his mom's funeral 
But then he gets a call to do this surgery and the Red Foreman's character is like, oh, he's not going to come. He's at his mom's funeral. I'll do the surgery. I love that we know that guy as Red Foreman. Yeah. I can't remember that actor's name, but that's always going to be my Even mind. though he's a really good actor. Yeah, the bad really guy from RoboCop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he inherits that home. Everything in that home is his mom's, I guess. And it looks like it. Oh, meanwhile, Bill Paxton. Oh, well, okay. So Helena has been kidnapped. She has no legs. Uh, they are having scenes that are sort of, I mean, again, romantic. He pushes her out into the rain and tells her to scream and then pushes her back into the house. It's not really romantic, it, but it's played romantic. Played romantic, yeah. It's it's kind of like a romantic setting, but he's like telling her, scream, no one can hear you. Yep. Yeah. Um, he has sex with a woman while she's forced to or not chooses late. to what? So before that happens, that happens a couple times. Nancy comes over, or whatever yeah. her name is, and he has sex but he's imagining it's helena and so he prematurely ejaculates i don't think they even got to the point where they were having sex no, it was like just a like a yeah, yeah he was kissing and then it was so then helena really rakes him over the coals yeah. after nancy leaves it's like what a big wuss you are yeah you're terrible and he is um yes uh so there's a stupid plot hole that bothered me a lot which is that he has unplugged all the phones in the house and then Nancy comes over and plugs one of the phones back in because she's like, oh, I think you accidentally unplugged this. And he like says, no, 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 you shouldn't plug this in. <laughs> but at that point, Helena could have plugged any yeah, phone in. Yeah, her arms are there. She's being left to roam the house. She could easily have plugged that house, one of those in from her wheelchair. That scene where Nancy came over, was that where they were having dinner and he gags her? Oh, yeah. yeah that There's this romantic it. music playing. Um, yes, because she's going to scream yeah. for help. So he, Yeah, it's another one of those. It's another... It's another aria from La Boheme is playing while they're eating, and he turns it up and gags her yeah, so, so that Nancy her. can't hear, and then mm-hmm. he, they briefly have sex, and then Helena is very oh, uh, movie. angry, to, uh, very, um, she just breaks him over the coals, yeah, but you know, it's hard for, to have a problem with that, she just gagged and had her legs cut off. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Later in the, and it might even be right. It might yeah, be the same nice. time. Yeah. Um, so she she pretends to comfort him, and then she tries to strangle him. Is that this scene or is that later? Somewhere around there. It's all so dreamlike. Yeah. So she tries to strangle him, and so he amputates her arms. Yeah, and the way this is done in the movie is it's the next day, and then you see she's. You see arms. a few things actually. It's, yeah, it's the next day, and then you see. A statue with no arms or legs. Mm-hmm. You see something else, and you see him, and he is one hundred percent physically. Uh, he's exercising. Oh yeah. He's doing jumping jacks. He's got weights on. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, yeah. fully physically. The opposite of of a person <laughs> who right. you're gonna see in a sec. So then yeah. you see Helena, and she has now been boxed. Mm-hmm. She's and but she's sort of on a pedestal, and there's all these flowers behind her. Yes. white flowers. White flowers. Also, this is done via the cheap special effect of her like her legs are probably down yeah. inside yeah. the yeah. sofa. And yeah, the wheelchair was it. the same way. Her legs were just mm-hmm. inside the wheelchair. Yeah, but it's horrifying. Trila didn't like this movie either. Apparently, yeah. she's she's weighing. Um. All right. Oh, and oh, but before he cuts her off her arms, I have a note about this. So before he cuts off her arms, he's watching a video of her at the party. That he was filming. Oh, yeah, which he, makes no he, sense. Yes, that he somehow had a film of her in the fountain of the party. This And you know this is going to happen. You know, well, I knew it was going to happen, actually, because I'd know. seen the movie before. Yeah. So while he's watching yeah. the video of Helena in the fountain, 
presumably thinking about cutting her arms off. He's listening to another aria called Nessun Dorma, which is an aria from Turandó, an opera about a nameless prince who falls in love with a beautiful but cold princess. Just like this movie. Just like in this movie. And then the next thing we see is an armless, legless statue, then his mother. Oh, yeah, we see a scene of his mother. Mm -hmm. After the statue, you see his mother, but she is shot in such a way, she's naked, she's shot in such a way that she appears to have no arms or legs. Yeah, he's seeing her from behind. He's coming to her bedroom or something. Got up for this part. I do not remember this. Yeah, she was she was just naked, naked sitting on her bed. Her legs are behind the bed, so you can't see them, and her arms are kind of yeah. But she's (laughs) doing something up front, so from behind she just so she looks like the listener. They both mind the thing that she was doing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you can't see her arms or legs. Uh, and then you see Helena in her box. Ugh, I um, didn't know what that meant until we saw her in that box. I mean, I still don't really know what it means. He but... put her in a box. Yeah, he put her in a he box. He boxed her. He been boxed. This was the process of boxing Helena. One of the explanations that Jennifer Lynch had for this was that it is that everything in this movie is a metaphor, mm-hmm. and that it is a metaphor for for taking things away from someone so that they become the thing they become the size that that fits you okay uh well that makes sense because all he wanted to do all the julian sands character wanted to do was like take care of helena who we see is like a very independent you know she's got her own mind and she does her own thing and she does whatever she wants but when he takes away her mobility and when he takes away everything from her then it turns, you know, she depends on him. Right. And it works. She falls in love with him. <sighs> <sighs> yes, that's what happens. But he did um, make her bite size. That's right. Just the right size. And then <laughs> she's in love with him now. Yep. And the... She's in love with him. Oh, and he... Uh, it progresses to where he says, I'll kill myself for you if that's what you want. Oh, yeah. I'll kill you or I'll kill myself. He's got whatever a gun. Like. Yeah. She's like, no, no, please don't. No, that's the point where she falls in love with him is when he says, I will kill myself for you because I mm-hmm. love you so much. Then Bill Paxton shows up. Well, first he has sex with a woman while Helena watches. Right. But he, uh, yes. But she's okay with it now. Right. Well, she tells him how to have sex with a woman. There's mm-hmm. a whole big scene of that. And then he has sex with a woman. And then he says, did I do it right? I did it for you. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what her response to that is. But then... Because you're, uh, you're great, dude. Some, some stuff happens. And then Bill Paxton shows up and he's angry. He's very upset by what he sees. So he... And he is going to kill him. Does he kill him? No, he beats him up, pushes him to the ground. Helena's like, no, don't kill him. I love him. Bill Paxton gets so disgusted he walks out and then the statue of Venus falls over and crushes... Julian Sands. Julian Sands' face. The and end. then he wakes up oh, in the hospital and none of it was real. It was, it was all, all a dream. All a dream. Now... And then he hovers over her hospital bed while she sleeps. Yep. And then he remembers the things from his dream and he mm. thinks to himself, that mm. didn't seem quite... Maybe I shouldn't do any of those things. I don't things. know if he thinks that or not. He doesn't well, say he it. leaves. Yeah, he leaves. That movie made me so uncomfortable. It made me so scared. Like, just the, that idea of being held captive and not being able to get out and just mm-hmm. no way at all of escaping. Like, that's what nightmares are made of. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I will... I should say that Jennifer Lynch said that they had dream... That it all being a dream was not a tacked on ending as people supposed. It was always meant it. to be that way. I read it. I read that. I did not read it as this was tacked on. I also, during the that non-dream part at the end, he also goes and talks to Nancy, who's like, "Hey, coming over for dinner tonight?" And he's like, "You got a babe." Whatever he says. 
You know when ladies say, like, in your dreams, pal, like, yeah. this is totally need, that. Right? <laughs> this is totally what, this is his dream of Helena is just making her so helpless that she depends on him. Right. Here's one, well, this Wait, movie. One last song. A song that plays <laughs> at the end, as the end credits roll is, I can't make you love me. Oh, that makes That's it, right. it all comes around. <laughs> I know that song. So I have two things I want to say before we like really dig in here to get things going. One is about the 30 minute mark before he's chopped off her legs. Although this movie is kind of slow and it's very crummy. It it reminded me of The Room starring Tommy Wiseau. And The Room is a very incompetently made movie about a man who's in love with this horrible woman and he tries to do everything right for her. But he's not, and it's very deeply sexist, but it's also very goofy because it's so incompetently made. So all the stuff the movie is trying to say about, like, how women are and how men are is kind of a joke because it's so crummy. This is like that if he also was extremely violent towards the woman and also the movie was like, but hey, you know. So that was one, one thing. Is it reminded me of the room, which but so unpleasant it was hard to watch. The horror horror film version of the room. And the other thing is, this movie is so deeply, violently, horribly sexist, and that may or may not be on purpose. It's a little hard to tell from just watching it. That's part of what makes it horrible. Is like he is he is a horrible shrimpy guy, but he is played up as the hero. Helena is a really mean, nasty woman continually till she falls in love with him. Her personality really does not change based on her circumstances. And also everyone else in the movie is completely horrible and mean and nasty to him, except for Nancy or his, his girlfriend who just puts up with everything and is fine. Um, and that's part of what made it so hard for me to watch is like, you don't, you can't tell what's supposed to be ironic or what's not supposed to be ironic. It's right. so crappy. Some people described it as like a, that, that was dark humor. And I didn't see any humor in this I didn't movie. laugh. I think if, his performance was a little over the top in terms of his severe wimpiness. Yeah. Um, and it, there is a there are some interesting elements if they were in a different movie, not this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he was super wimpy, and she he was relentlessly wimpy and scared. She was relentlessly angry and sexy. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the opposite of way characters normally are. In, that's true. In most movies, it's the you know, flip-flop of the usual roles we well, see. guys aren't normally super sexy, but yeah, but aside from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the idea of cutting away things away from a... The metaphor is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like seeing somebody's arms cut off, and that's not metaphorical. That actually happened on the, you know... Yeah. It may be a metaphor, but in the, in the film media... Yeah. If somebody gets their arms cut off, their arms got cut off. It's not a metaphor. Yeah. It, we saw it. Just because it's all a dream doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Uh, it was. It's. It just doesn't work in yeah. that Mm-mm. genre. I don't think. Yeah. There was a lot of things wrong No, I just I don't know what else to say except for that this movie made me so uncomfortable and disgusted. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, I don't know. I feel bad saying this about Jennifer Lynch because I don't, you know, I don't know why this makes me feel bad, but like you can see her aping David Lynch 
elements, mm-hmm. which are dreamlike and nightmarish, mm-hmm. but without any of the tact or like skill to yeah. make something that is like disgusting and surreal also like, kind of mesmerizing and interesting. Yeah. But this movie is not mesmerizing and interesting. It is like uh, a, something really gross and unpleasant. And it's, if this is meant to, if any of it's meant to be ironic or comedic or like a metaphor, none of it comes across because it's so poorly done. It's offensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's offensive. I would say so too. And I'm, I don't know. I want to give some benefit of the doubt because right. she's so young and maybe there was a lot of other forces at play to make this movie not a good movie at all, but it really did not work. It was so gross. Right. And if it was trying to say, hey, this is the behavior that you shouldn't do, uh, I think that it should have been addressed more than just, oh, it was all a dream. Yep. The end. Well, I think one of the reasons I was so focused on the music is if in any of those scenes, if in the scene where he was in the tree watching her, it had been creepy music, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this movie would have been It'd be a scary more movie. okay. Yeah. If, if in the scene where he is gagging her or obsessing over her, if in any of those scenes the background music had been scary and creepy... I would have been a lot more okay with this movie. Yeah. I guess the music just catered to what was his vision of love right. in his own head. And that's why it just didn't work. Because, like, no one, <laughs> only, I don't know, no one wants to think of love in that terrible, terrible way. This is just. I mean, like ugh. in The Room, the impression you get at the end of The Room is like Tommy Wiseau, the director and star, hates women and has some real problems, but there's like kind of a humor in the incompetence. This, you get the same impression, and part of me wants to give Jennifer Lynch credit as being a woman that maybe there's meant to be more to it than that, but it just comes across like, oh, she's got mental problems, and this is the movie she made. This She has some really severe issues that are coming out through the way she's writing. And I don't know if that's really true, but that's the impression you get watching this, is like, this is somebody with some really bad issues allowed to make a movie however they want without any... Uh, I think the original concept might not have been hers. It might have been the producers because that was kind of what I read from the... I mean, that, that would explain a little bit because this also looks like somebody making a movie they don't really want to. Like, the idea of, well, there's this horrible thing on screen, but I'm going to play it up as a romance seems like a really bad idea that a director is just doing. I You know, but I, I can't... I don't want to read into this to some extent because... My main feeling was like, this movie's gross and unpleasant to watch. Yeah. What would you say is, like, would you say it was well-directed? Would you say it was well-acted? I'd say there are, I mean, I don't know. It's, it depends on what they were trying yeah. to do. I think yeah. the, the, the biggest failing is we don't know what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think one of, the issue, one of the many issues is that many of the actors play the different roles differently. I think Bill Paxton is really funny in this movie and plays it like a comedy <laughs> because he is just overacts. And I know from seeing him in other stuff that he can be a really good actor and play it very cool. And in other movies, he doesn't. I think but the woman, other people don't play it that way. Well, I think the woman who played Helena actually did a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, she yeah. played the thing that was given to her to do and there was no... She didn't... Um, she played a She didn't couch her bets yeah. or anything. I mean, she yeah. gave it 100%. She did. Yeah. Julian Sands, I found... Ugh, He's not great. He yeah. was not good in this movie. Um, he was playing... I felt like he was playing a wimpy thing and didn't and does not think of himself as being wimpy. You could yeah. see him acting, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. What I want to say about this movie is that uh, the mom in the movie, uh, the mom of Julian Sands' character, and Helena in this movie, like, they, they are... 
I don't know, they're mean, aggressive women, but mm. men act that way all the fucking time. <laughs> uh, you know, like deny that they've got kids and just kind of man about town. And, you know, if a guy were acting like Helena does, well, it's just like, oh, you know, he's just a player, whatever. He's just playing the field. I, mean, I think Bill Paxton character was the man version of her. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say, you know, like, yeah, they they were portrayed as like really negative, cold, hearted, terrible women, but also that kind of behavior is accepted, uh, you know, is socially oh, sure. acceptable for the most part, give or take, when a man acts that way. I mean, I think that's to the movie's detriment because she is playing a stereotype of a of the shrew or mm-hmm. whatever. She is this nasty, mean woman, and no matter what you, how nice you are or how mean you are to her, it doesn't make her a difference to her. Mm-hmm. And she plays that role very well, but it also makes this movie extra gross. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ugh, when she think, fell in love with him. Oh, yeah, so I think the gross. themes the themes are not they don't it may just be a, a person trying to convey uh, some thoughts and ideas and feelings that really don't match up very well with most people. I mm-hmm. mean mm-hmm. there's also this is a, a common problem in movies all across the board, but you know, highlighted here is you know, like in the Velvet Vampire where they cut around the vampire dying so that later they can be like oh how did she die was she a vampire now like play that up the the movie doesn't show something to the audience and then even though the characters have seen it like if this movie had shown him amputating her arms or legs you can't come back from that and make it a romantic movie so they just don't show it right but like if you saw the surgery room he had in his house for even a split second this is a horror movie instantly Mm -hmm. there's no blood in this movie no it is completely bloodless so like the omission of that also makes this movie extra gross because they yeah. cut out the bad stuff that would have to have happened. Right. And it's they... like eating chicken bought from the store and never never making the connection between a live chicken and the chicken that you eat. <laughs> yeah, there's some missing steps so that it's like, ah, oh, this is palatable. But yeah. if, I mean, if the point of this was to be ironic or a black comedy, you show that surgery room for a second and suddenly it all snaps into focus of like, yeah, she's brushing past these scenes on purpose as opposed to just like, oh, I don't want you to see this, so don't even think about it. But I do think she did that on purpose. I think she intentionally made it bloodless because she didn't want that feeling of knowing that he did this violence, even though we there's no escaping it. Yeah. And I think that's part of why the movie doesn't work, is that she didn't understand the... Uh, the extreme, the extreme quality of an amputation and how yeah. that would affect an audience. She thought that an audience would be able to bridge the gap and go, "Oh, this is a metaphor for something." No, we just she doesn't have legs. That's mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a horrible crime. Oosh. Shall we move on? Yes. To the fourth. You and want me to talk movie? about Jennifer's body? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> uh, so Jennifer's body was from 2009, I believe, yep. directed by Karen Kasuma. 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 K U S A M A. Yes. Written by Diablo Cody, starring Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried and Megan Fox. Um, so Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox play Needy. Anita. And Young Neil. Oh, and Young Neil, whatever that actor's name is. Um, yes. Uh, Anita, short for Needy. And, um, we, we see her, it opens, she's in a, um, Amanda Seyfried's character is in a mental hospital. There's a lot of narration in this movie. She's narrating about how 
she's in this mental hospital. They keep close eye on her, but they don't really know about her, basically. Uh, she kicks an orderly and gets thrown in uh, solitary confinement. You see her... Um, then you see Megan Fox as Jennifer feeling very sickly in her bedroom, and Amanda Seyfried is, is spying on her. And she basically says, well, Jennifer wasn't always this sickly. Let me tell you how it was. And then we flash back. I don't know if they say exactly how much time. Six months or something? Yeah. Earlier in the school year. Earlier in the school year. Um, Needy is Jennifer's nerdy friend. Um, Jennifer is a kind of a mean bully, but they are friends since they were little kids, since they were in the Sandlot yeah. days. Um, you get pretty early on that Needy is in love with Jennifer, or they have a, she has a crush on her. She makes a statement, something to the effect of, you never forget the love of the sandbox, or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Just they are such deep friends that she that their love can never end, or something. Um, Needy has a boyfriend... Do you, I don't remember the character. Dove, name. I think. Dove? Mm-hmm. Um, young Neil. Young Neil. From, from Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, she has a boyfriend who does not like Jennifer very much because she's so mean. Uh, Jennifer basically just pushes Needy around and has her as her sidekick. And they make it clear it's because she's very beautiful. Yes. And Needy is nerdy. Is a gross nerd. Although, Amanda Seyfried, yeah. what a gross nerd. What a horrible, ugly person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can tell because she has glasses and sometimes a hat on. <laughs> and her hair is fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that fuzzy, but a little yeah. fuzzy. Um, <clears throat> Jennifer uh, wants to go see a new cool band, Low Shoulder. Low Shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, playing at a local club, which is actually just a CD uh, dive bar. Um, they are in... Where we meet, where we see Chris Pratt for a moment. Yeah. Where we see Chris Pratt for a moment. They... Live in a, I can't remember the name of the town. Oh, Devil's Kettle. Devil's Kettle. Which yeah. they explain. Are we getting a knock on the door? I don't know. Maybe. Hello? Okay, moving on, I guess. Uh, they, uh, live in, that they live in Devil's Kettle. They live in Devil's Kettle. There's a waterfall with a hole at the bottom that goes on forever, possibly. Scientists aren't sure. That's, this is, comes through in the narration. Um, they go to this CD dive bar because Jennifer wants to go there and put her moves on the lead singer of the band. Um, they go there, they meet Chris Pratt, who's a cadet for the sheriff's office. They exchange some not-that-witty-witty banter. Um, Jennifer tar- starts talking to the lead singer of Low Shoulder, who says, Hey, you know, you're pretty cool. Talk to us after the show. And then Needy overhears the lead singer talking to his bandmates, saying, like, Do you think she's a virgin? Do you think she'll work for our plans? And they're like, Yeah, dude, you're always, like, picking up ladies. She'll work just fine. And Needy comes back and confronts the lead singer and says, don't talk about my friend that way. That's very mean. And she is a virgin, by the way. Yeah. Um, They start the show, but a fire breaks out in the bar. Um, In kind of a strange scene where Needy watches the entire fire. She watches the fire start. She watches the fire go up the beams, up to the top of the ceiling. She watches fire fall onto the stage. and Yeah, people are... The um, needy grabs Jennifer and they run into the bathroom and out the bathroom window. People are like literally bursting into flames and running out the door. And being trampled. And being trampled. A woman is trampled. Uh, it seems like a fiery uh, crossbeam falls on Ahmet, the Indian exchange student. Um, so they are, they just barely make it out alive. Um, and the lead singer comes out and says, Hey, Jennifer, this party's over. Jennifer's so. in shock. 
Yes. He hands her a drink and says, drink this. This will make you feel better. And by the way, why don't you hop in our, my band, the van with my band and we'll go hang out. It'll be great. Yeah. Needy's like, no, Jennifer, we're going to head back home. Jennifer, Needy's like, don't go in the van. Let's just go get some chili fries. And Jennifer says, shut up, Needy. You're dumb. I'm going with these guys. She also seems a little mesmerized, though. She does. And and, and I get the, you get the impression that maybe there's something in the drink. There's There's something going on. That was the way I read it. Was like he's he's roofied her or otherwise. All oh, right, her. he does give her a drink. Yeah, and he's like, "Drink this, drink your drink," and she the, chugs it. The other thing, I when I was watching the fire in the bar, I kind of wondered if that was part of their ritual, right? That 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 was intentional because well, they're never upset by the fire. No, yeah, well, we'll come around. We'll come back to that. Um, oh, and and Karen looked up the boyfriend's name is Chip Chip Dove, or Chip Dove. Um, Needy goes home um, by herself. She calls Chip and says, I'm really scared. I just saw a bunch of people die. And he says, do you want me to come over? Are you doing okay? Uh, she hears something downstairs. She says her mom's on a swing shift, so she's not home. She's, she's home by herself. Um, she keeps Chip on the phone, goes and looks around in the bottom floor. There's nobody there, so she hangs up the phone. And then Jennifer appears, just drenched in blood. She looks very sickly. Um, Needy's like, are you okay? What's going on? And Jennifer's not really speaking to her. She's eating chicken. Yes, Jennifer. Ravenously. Walks, goes into the kitchen, opens the refrigerator, grabs a, a whole roast chicken, starts eating it, and then vomits a bunch of black goo all over the floor. Black goo that then It, like, wiggles around and moves. Yes. And prickly and spiky. She gives a demonic roar at Needy and then leaves. Um, then we cut to the next day at school. Um... Needy is feeling very messed up. The school's like, a whole bunch of students died last night. Um, and they're commenting on how Jennifer's not there. And then Jennifer's there. She looks great. She's feeling great. She's like, hey, Needy, what's wrong? And she's like, all those people died. You came over. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Things are great. You're stupid for being sad. Yeah, stop being such a baby. <laughs> all the language in this movie, by the way, is like very high school and mid 2000s. You know, like yeah. retard and all this dumb stuff. Like moveon.org, Karen. Yeah, like you're just <laughs> Jello, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, you're green Jello. Well, it's it's a Diablo Cody movie, which has its ups and downs. Well, it's toned down from Juno. It wasn't quite yeah. as extreme as Juno. I had some problems with it. Um,. Boy, I blinked on what the very next thing is because there's the football player that I know oh, yeah, is coming the up soon. Yeah. We should mention the teacher, J.K. Simmons, who has, has a lisp and a, a hook, hook for I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the one that's talking to the students about a bunch of people who died, died last people night. dying. He goes, "Oh, yeah, there's a football player out on the field," and Jennifer goes over to him and lures him into the woods. Yes, and phone call yep a phone call this is uh, a, this today's the best we got a lot of very dog loud barks, a lot of bird squawks that's life yeah we've <laughs> added that to make it give you like a sense of our a sense of place as if we really exist in the world yes yeah. <laughs> um so jennifer seduces this football player out into the woods um you do you see you don't see her kill him but you hear screams and jk simmons hears some screams and he's like those kids working it out in the woods uh, but then he, the screaming like is so intense. And then it just stops, and then he goes and inspects it, and then he finds the body. Yes, all to- torn up, and there's a deer eating it. And I was like, 
Don't eat your deers eat vegetables. I said that too, and Maggie said no. Sometimes they eat protein. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> and somebody can. Maggie right. is the expert of animal things. So. And yeah. then in the movie, uh, like the police come, and everyone assumes that whoever killed this, the biggest guy in school, is a man. And it, mm-hmm. there's this kind of long scene of everyone saying, "He, he, he! Whoever the man who killed my son is going to get it." And yeah. Just all this stuff, but you know, everyone in the audience knows that it was. The sexy gal at school who did it. <laughs> it's Jennifer and her body, I suppose. Um, I mean, there's the movie kind of peters out for the middle portion, but Needy has a friend at school who's the goth kid. Um, oh, yeah, the guy from uh, Veronica, Veronica Mars. Mars. Beaver Casablancas from Veronica Mars. Uh, he maybe has a little bit of a crush on Nita, Needy and vice versa, but Jennifer's like, ooh, I'll go on a date with him. I kind of like that scene, the I, scene of their date I kind of liked. It was okay. Um, she, Jennifer, uh, goes on a date with the goth boy. She has him meet her at an abandoned house. Yes. And she basically teases him of like, why are you scared? You love scary stuff. You'd love a gross rat infested house. Um, Needy is having, going to have sex with Chip, her boyfriend. For the first time. For the first time. Um, while she's having sex or preparing to have sex with him, uh, Jennifer is... Kind of looks like she's preparing to have sex with the goth kid, whose name I can't remember. Uh, but then she gets very big, scary, sharp demon teeth and starts chomping down on him. But you only see that in silhouette. Yes, and you see her rip him apart in silhouette. What you do see on the scene is her kind of dislocating him at all his joints. Yeah, she breaks his and arm. And taking him down. But then after that, you see that she's animal, like like an animal just okay. eating him. And The special effects in this movie are actually pretty cool yeah. because mm-hmm. they're mostly... Um, physical non there's it's not a lot of cg except that barf scene was a little bleh. nope that was real really yep that was hershey syrup oh well that was great good for her <laughs> that's then. cool um this yeah uh needy is gonna have sex with chip but then she gets basically gets a vision of... i meant practical practical effects i knew there was a different one. oh uh she gets a vision basically of, of something's wrong with jennifer or something bad's happening so then she's like no no i'm scared she looks over and she sees a hallucination of the the football player who died and some... and, of, and uh, she sees the like a weird vision of um, Megan Fox's character, like hunched over, kind of like an animal oh, yeah. about to eat or attack or something. She you, sees yeah. blood dripping from the ceiling. You see, you see Megan Fox in silhouette eating the guy's guts, and it's all in a kind of a sexy way. But you don't actually. <laughs> if you visit... say so. Well, Mom. I mean. <laughs> I, I think know. that was the intent. I mean, it's it's a silhouette, and it's yeah. like, you know, softly lit with candles. I think there's just this weird juxtaposition of, like, yeah. sexy scene, and really terrible eating of a person. <laughs> yeah, watching a lot of people get eaten chopped up lately. Um, does, it, does the movie say why... Amanda Seyfried's character is experiencing these oh. hallucinations while her friend is... It seems like sex is this weird psychic link that they have. Yeah, I yeah. was hoping that would get explained, and it's really not. It does. Ha- it happens a couple of times where she obviously has a, has a premonition of some kind. She's a Jedi, I guess. It's just not explained. Um, I forget how... So Amanda Seyfried's character, Needy, I forget how she gets on the trail of Let Me Look Up the Occult. Something oh, happened. It happens relatively late, like disappointingly late in the mm-hmm. story. Oh, I'm sorry. I do remember, which is that shortly after this, Jennifer comes over and she explains what happens. Yeah. So what happened is um, Amanda Seyfried, 
dry like she sees this premonition she and chip stop having sex she gets in her car she drives away she's headed towards maybe jennifer's home i guess so. she runs into jennifer in the road being somewhat animalistic yeah jennifer had just finished eating the punk kid's body and she's like on all fours kind of in the road and amanda seyfried is like what the fuck she stops her car she turns it around but then jennifer lands on her car and is just like pounces on her car amanda seyfried hightails it out of there goes back home freaked out she's like i she's just very scared she goes back to her room and then jennifer she gets in her bed and she's just like trying to sleep and then jennifer says hey and amanda seyfried is like what the fuck why yeah. are you in my room? Get out of here. Then a lesbian scene happens. Yeah, they kiss. They look I like don't they... think that happened then, actually. In that scene, Jennifer is saying, yeah, let's have a sleepover. and and uh, They kiss, though. They do kiss. It's later, though. I think they have two kissing scenes. I think they only have one. Mm. Pretty sure. Right well, in, viewers. Well, let me describe to you my vision of what just what happens <laughs> yeah. in this. So uh, Jennifer is saying, I want to sleep over. I want to sleep over, like, you know, like in the olden times. Yeah, like we're cool friends. And uh, Needy's not, no, she doesn't want that. And Jennifer's very mean in all of her scenes to, to Needy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And is that the scene where she explains why she is the way yes. that she is? Okay, so she explains everything that happened on the night of the fire, which is that they take her out to Devil's falls devil's devil's kettle falls or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. the Um, devil's hole or something they sacrifice her they think they think she's a virgin by the way this is very important we know that she's not a virgin even though needy in the bar says she is uh we don't know she says she is too when they're in the van because she thinks they they don't her to be she thinks they don't want her to be a virgin so she says oh i'm a virgin i'm a virgin don't worry about it you won't hurt me because that's why that's why needy said she's a virgin so that they wouldn't like leave her alone right yes they they didn't want to have right so they think she's a virgin so they so they sacrifice her because they want to be successful musicians yeah that's maybe my favorite part of this movie is their little conversation with her about how it's really hard to be in the indie band game so the only (laughs) thing you can do is make a pact with satan and they need to sacrifice a virgin using the spell book they have. Right. So they and do that. Totally except... don't care about it, really. Yeah, they're very they're very uh, sociopathic. All five of the band members are like, yeah, okay, let's do it. You could tell one of them. You could tell one of them was kind of hesitant. He was like, <laughs> in the beginning, he's like, no, man, I don't want to do this. And then, but he's okay with it. Yeah, he eventually around. he was fine. They all sang, Jenny, I have your number, whatever, yeah, 867 As they're stabbing her. Yes. Right. Uh so I guess that's why she goes looking up the occult. Because is she yeah. the one that... She's the one... She, Needy, is the one that explains, oh, if you sacrifice a not-virgin, then what happens is the demon gets trapped in the body of the person. But also your wish comes true. It works. Yeah, it did work. And they, Low Shoulder becomes the most popular band in school. And Jennifer's a succubus. Yeah, basically. <laughs> she's eating... She's seducing men and eating them. She gets really sick if she hasn't fed for a while. Um... Needy talks, has a sit down with her boyfriend and says, I can't be with you right now. It's a little dangerous, which is a terrible idea and does not right. work like she wants to. And he thinks she's crazy. Yes. She thinks she's, he explains what's going on and he's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, he's not exactly like that, but he's like, hey, I think you should probably see someone and yeah. talk about this. But he is saying that what she's. Yeah. He dismisses her. Yeah. Uh, so she, she breaks up with him. Um, they're just about to go to. Is it prom or is it the special senior dance? I don't prom. know if they're seniors or not. It's been Some sort of dance. Formal dance. Chip's all heartbroken because he'd already bought her $12 
Corsage. Uh, Corsage. Yeah, and she tells him, I, I am going to the dance, but I don't want you to go to the dance. I'm going to the dance to watch Jennifer, Jennifer because yeah. she's going she's gonna to eat somebody. everyone. This is a buffet for her. Um, Chip is going to go to the dance by himself. Most It kind of seems like maybe he just can't tell his mom that he doesn't have a date anymore, so he's just going to go, and he says, I'll meet Needy there. Yeah, so he's going to go dressed as Harry Potter, apparently. <laughs> Basically, he's wearing like a tuxedo, but he's wearing a, a Harry scarf. Potter scarf. Yeah. And he's going to walk there. He starts walking to the dance. Needy's at the dance, but she doesn't see Jennifer or Chip. Um, and Chip runs into Jennifer walking to the dance, and she says, hey, come with me. We can go make out well, and talk. Let's go to this abandoned swimming pool. What happened is Jennifer is doing this really terrible move of, hey, by the way, Needy was cheating on you this whole time, yeah. but I really, really like you, and I think we should kiss and whatever. Let's yeah. go over there. So she, she pulls this, you know, not only does she, like, backstab her friend, but she's also, like, lying and about to eat this, yeah. Precious Chip. <laughs> yeah, Precious Sweet Chip, who's so nice in this movie. Uh, Needy gets another premonition, uh, goes to Chip's house, whose mom says, oh, he must have walked to meet you. Uh, she goes, she she hears Chip screaming for help, so she goes to the abandoned swimming pool. Chip's already been bitten a little bit. He's not doing so good. Um, Needy is like, uh, Jesus Christ, give me the power to fight this bitch! And yeah. dives into the pool. <laughs> Uh, she has a big fight with Jennifer. Chip impales Jennifer on a um, one of those pool skimmers. Yeah, it's sharpened at one end. Um, Jennifer Randomly. flies around, which was also a scene I thought was really funny. Where Chip's like, "She can fly," and Needy's like, "She's just hovering. It's not that big of a deal." <laughs> that was a line I enjoyed. There was um, Jacob was saying when we were watching this movie that it felt at times like Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. of like the setting is high school and there's people being silly like in high school mm-hmm. but there's also these fight scenes and there's also these weird kind of one-liners that mm-hmm. yeah. is humorous in the way that a lot of um, sorry there's my shoe on the, oh. on the chair um, this is humorous in the way that Buffy was just yeah. kind of and when, an indie band playing also remind me of Buffy. Yep. When, when you first started describing in the movie, and like right at the beginning, you said she was in her she was in isolation in her cell, and I was about to say it's very Buffy like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, Low Shoulder is playing at their prom, which to me makes it Im- implies that they're really not that successful. But <laughs> apparently, oh, but that's they're why. doing it for publicity, right? Because yeah. part of the reason that they become famous is it's, because they, there's they a saved story. saved everyone from that fire, yeah. right? Which Needy says was actually not true, but they don't believe her. And the radio is just saying, oh, like all the proceeds from this, from them playing at the high school, I guess, are going to go <laughs> towards the families who were affected by the yeah. loss. 3% of the proceeds or something. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. Uh, Jennifer's impaled by Chip. Chip dies. Um, Jennifer, like, scurries out of the abandoned pool. Um, Needy... I think this. I think we may cut to later. Needy is now in the mental hospital. Um, no, no, oh, no. No, no I'm sorry. You're right. This the the way that the first scene is played out confused me a little. Needy okay. gears up to kill Jennifer. She does. She uh, she goes to Jennifer's place. Uh, Jennifer is not doing so good because she was impaled and didn't get to feed. Uh, she has a confrontation with Jennifer where they have a, a fight. She has the knife that was used to sacrifice her. Yeah, it just, she finds it. <laughs> it's just in the water. 
she gets a knife. But she does. That she is, uses a box cutter for Jennifer. For yeah, she doesn't get the knife till after she escapes from the mental institution. That was the part I was trying to figure out in my brain. She yeah. has a box cutter. To kill Jennifer, she has a box cutter. Oh, and she knows that she has to stab her in the heart. She because of her research. Her researching, yes. And, and Chip goofed it. He only got her in the stomach. Yeah. Um, she has a confrontation with Jennifer. She says, Jennifer, you were never nice to me. You were always, always a bad friend. Uh, they wrestle around while Jennifer flies around the room. Their BFF, Jennifer's BFF knock- necklace gets knocked off her, which causes her no, to fall No, no, no. Amanda Seyfried's character rips it off of yeah. Jennifer's neck. Mm. And for a, for a second, that stuns Jennifer. And they both fall to the bed. And then Amanda Seyfried sees her chance and stabs her friend in the heart. And, and then the mom walks in. Yes. And now... She's at the she's, mental hospital. She's at the mental hospital. Uh, she's in solitary confinement, but... Little did you know that when you are bitten by a demon... And she gets bitten in the fight. She does. Then you get the powers of... Some of the powers of the demon. So she flies out of the solitary... She flies up to the roof and kicks her way out of solitary confinement and is now super powerful. She finds the demon knife by the side of the road in the pool of water. Uh, and then the movie oh, ends. Th- yeah, the implication of that is that earlier in the movie you see scientists throwing things into the hole at, de- at Devil's Kettle's Falls. Yes. Things like ping pong balls. And that is also where the band throws, throws the, the knife. knife. Mm-hmm. And so what what you're seeing is that that does come out somewhere. I guess and, so, and there, yeah. So there's like a river beside the road where all these ping pong balls and <sighs> yeah. the knife are. It's silly. It is it's silly. a sign. She, uh, she gets the knife. knife. The movie ends, but over the credits you see little shoulder. No, and she says, I'm going to go kill the band. And she goes and gets yeah. picked up by a hitchhiker and says, I'm following my favorite band or whatever she says to the driver. And then you see a video of her going to the concert and sneaking in. Well, we didn't because we're also watching this on Amazon Prime. So as the credits mm-hmm. start, the mm-hmm. screen goes black, but the music still plays and the subtitles still play. Oh, yeah. So we stopped it and then restarted. And when we restarted the movie, all the band was dead and there's blood all over the yeah, place. Yeah, so we were just like, oh, what did we miss? Because she got him. Uh, and then it's over. Yeah. My least favorite uh, plot point in this movie is the point where we've seen an entire movie. Yeah. And then at the end, oh, and by the way, let me tell you some things. I have superpowers now. I have superpowers yeah. now. And I'm on revenge. And I get them. That my, is not right. My uh, favorite part in this movie has got to be Chip's younger sister. And the part where the mom is taking photos of Chip about to go to prom. and he, with she, the sister. She makes him pose with his little sister, who's kind of a brat. She's like eight or But something. the mom says, now, back to back. And so the little <laughs> sister with her tiara is just kind of like following the mom's direction and chip does too. this remind you of your life no not really but i just found it i just found it charming, charming that the the teen brother and the young kid sister are posing for this in a very <laughs> cute pose like back-to-back pose is very cute you know it's just adorable <laughs> i just thought that part was really cute <laughs> did you and maggie ever pose like that um i don't know maybe no I don't know. There's some cute photos. My mom did take pictures of my sisters and I when we were going to very... So we were allowed to go to very few dances, if at all, Mm -hmm. as teens. And uh, my sisters and I begged to go to the Hawaiian-themed dance at school. But my mom said, no one's going with boys. You're all going together. (laughs) So we all dressed in, like, Hawaiian... I think I've seen a photo of this. Yeah, it's on the mantle. They they took photos of us (laughs) going to that. I didn't go to my prom. (laughs) <laughs> making a face uh, I didn't miss out on much prom was meh yeah uh, I'm guessing based on your face you didn't go to prom for reasons yeah my girlfriend and I, high school girlfriend and I broke up like two weeks before prom so I didn't go 
Um, I had some problems with this movie. It was had some really funny parts, but was not done very well as a comedy. It kind of the tone was a little messed up. Kind of felt unfinished. Like they maybe had a couple more drafts to go. And it also had this problem, maybe because it was from two thousand nine, where there are lots of like, like Juno. There's lots of like one-liners people shooting zingers and saying goofy stuff back and forth but a lot of the stuff they say is like what a bunch of fagos and you're retarded and this is like there's a lot of stuff in there that is you're just salty or you're salty or whatever salty now means jealous or upset but yeah there's there's some stuff that seems old there's some stuff that seems like offensive there's some stuff that's really funny and stuff that was not funny at all just what played totally flat um I felt like maybe you need a couple more drafts of the script. Also, there's a lot of narration, which doesn't do anything. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't clarify anything in the movie. Could have been shown and not told. So there's, like, some high points and some low points. For me. I don't know what you guys... I just... Either. I thought it was entertaining. I didn't I didn't get a whole lot more out of it than <laughs> that. I mean, it looked good. Yeah. And I think the it scene was very pretty. of Jennifer floating over the pool in her white prom dress mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Fun. Mm-hmm. I was also, I was thinking about this, which is that if you want to see a better movie, a better horror movie exploring teen sexuality and teen relationships that also ends with a fight in an abandoned pool and a ghost. I know and where subdued, this is going. You can watch It Follows, which is this exact concept. Yep. Like it's very much this concept, but a lot scarier, also funnier and a much better made movie. Yeah, I think everything about It Follows is just like a better version of Jennifer's which body. Is funny, because it came out later, so I'm like, did the person who made It Follows see this movie and like steal some of these concepts? Because there's some really close similarities yep, there, in parts uh, maybe i think there could be but it's a lot better yeah i mean i don't know this movie was not that funny for a comedy and not that scary for a horror yeah Correct. that's kind of the general complaint of reviewers i believe is mm-hmm. that it it just it wasn't funny enough and it wasn't scary enough amanda safry did a good job acting oh Seyfried. she's wonderful in this movie i, I thought, thought megan fox was okay in this better than i've mm-hmm. ever seen her before but i, didn't like I haven't i never watched transformers so i don't know anything about i saw her in maybe. tmnt she was not that great What's in that. What's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh. She plays April O'Neil. I yeah. see. She plays April? Oh, yeah. They could have gotten <laughs> a, young, a better one. sexy April O'Neil. Yeah. Um, Doesn't April have orange hair and bangs? She does in the cartoons and the comics, but not hmm. in TMNT. So one thing that uh, reading about all four of these movies, it's kind of like uh, three of these things are not, or one of these things is not like the others. Mm-hmm. All th- There are three movies in this gr- group of four that were described very by various people as being either we wanted to sort of flip the flip the genre over to to mm-hmm. you know gender flip it um so like in hitchhiker that movie was described as those two men were basically playing what would normally be the female characters in a in that sort of storyline the uh make uh i think it was diablo cody who said that in jennifer's body she kind of wanted to do or it might have been the director um, she kind of wanted to do Lost Boys, only female instead mm. of male. No, I got some problems with that. And as somebody who loves the Lost Boys, that does not strike me as correct. And it's kind of uh, that was also the director who did Velvet Vampire said, "I want to do the, you know, I want this female vampire." I think yeah. she may even have called her a protagonist. Um, I'd buy it. I mean, she's the only <laughs> likable character as the vampire. Um, I mean, the other thing with Jennifer's body, which 
it follows highlights for me, but it, I think I would have felt the same. The main character of that movie should be Jennifer, not her friend, because what's interesting is what's going on to this girl possessed by a demon, which mm-hmm. is how It Follows works. Mm-hmm. Needy is just tagging along with someone else's story. And then at the end, because Jennifer is killed, it's like, oh, I have powers now, and I'm going to wrap up yeah. the plot. But yeah, like, it was not it, entertaining. That was a big problem. Just, oh, I have powers now in the end credits, basically? I mean, what if we had the same movie, except it was from Jennifer's point of view, and at the end, she ends up in a mental institution, she's already got powers, and then she goes and hunts down Lotion. Like, that's a much better movie, because I want to know what's going on with Jennifer. Yeah. Finding out it from Needy's point of view is like, oh that's fine, but just have Jennifer be a likable character and we'll see what she's doing. And she yeah. have a nerdy friend. It would have been more interesting if the movie was Jennifer mm-hmm. and you see it all from her perspective and Needy is somehow responsible for what happened to her. That's fine. And Needy can help her research the occults because she's her nerdy friend or whatever. Yeah, but God forbid two women work together in a movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <sighs> Di- uh, I guess Diablo Cody said that she wanted to explore female friendship. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the. She doesn't have I, a very high opinion. I of feel it. I feel terrible that that's like if she's exploring female friendship that that's the female friendship she wants to portray because there's so much strength and support and companionship and just you know just like helping each other that I have found in my friendships with other women is just like I I really wouldn't have been able to survive these seven years in Seattle without some of my female friends who've become like my sisters and it's just yeah. Like, I guess it is high school, and they're portraying a high school female friendship, and high school just in general is a weird time, but... Well, like, the only positive relationship in that movie is Chip and Needy, a boy and a girl who are dating, mm-hmm. like... And that's it. That's the only relationship. So those three people, you don't... They don't explore anybody else, and Jennifer's just horrible to everybody. Pre-demonized and post-demonized. So I'm going to loop back around to The Hitchhiker and why Mm -hmm. it's a better movie than all the other movies. Yes. Here is one reason why. There are people, there are non-white characters in that movie. Mm -hmm. This movie from (laughs) 1953. Non-white characters who are competent and who move the story, who are heroes. Mm -hmm. Not one of them is evil. Mm-hmm. In all the other movies we watched, there was one other person of color, and it was the shopkeeper in Boxing Helena. Oh no, there's Ahmet, the boy from India. Oh, who they yes. make jokes about how he's from India, and then he's the then first he's one killed. who dies. He has well, no he's not lines. The first one, now but... he is the first one. Well, he's the first one that Megan Fox's character kills because she finds him in the road, and she's like, chronologically, hey, it is. Yeah. Also, you think he dies in the fire, and they just blow past it. Oh, I didn't get that that was out of sequence. Yeah, it was out yes. of sequence. So later on, she explains to Needy. This is what actually happened to um, that, what is it, Ahmet? Yes. This is what actually happened to Ahmet. She sees him walking in the road, and then she asks him, hey, does anyone know you're still alive, basically? Because we thought you were dead. And then uh, he says no, and she says, you come with me. So then she eats Ahmet, and then she heads over to Needy's house to eat the the chicken. Now, is that the first time you see the prosthetic, where you actually see her mouth open no you see her mouth open very briefly when she kills the goth kid for like a split second Mm -hmm. like you just she her mouth opens with teeth and then it's in silhouette one thing i was gonna point out is ahmed doesn't say no he has no lines in the movie he shakes his head no Mm -hmm. they see they talk to him in the bar he says nothing she talks she has a conversation with him where he never opens his mouth Mm -hmm. Hmm. and then he's murdered there's an asian girl yes who's mean it's the same girl from juno yeah i like it's this movie is 
And Jennifer's body is sexist, has some sexist and racist and homophobic stuff just sprinkled through it mm-hmm. for no reason. I mean, it's not just Jennifer who's like that, who is shown as a terrible person. Like, that's the one reason you couldn't just remake this movie with Jennifer as the main character. She's not likable at all. She's nasty. You'd have to rewrite it entirely. Yeah, and I have to ask, why? I mean, in Velvet Vampire, I guess the women weren't bad. They weren't terrible. I mean, they weren't kind of bad. The vampire was. The woman, the blonde, was just dumb. Yeah. Um, She gets a little... She's a kind of crappy. She's not as she's by comparison. She seems okay because everybody's really mean to her, and she's. But in Boxing Helena and Jennifer's Body, both the main female characters, or one of the main female characters, are just they're bitches. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what makes them all feel very sexist is that the character, the female characters, are all just nasty for no reason. I mean, the other thing is, I have to think of. I don't think any of these movies except maybe Jennifer's body would pass the Bechdel test, despite having lots of female characters who take up most of the screen time, it's all about boys. Well, except for The Hitchhiker, which didn't have any women Yes, in it. that's right. So. There was that woman who died in the beginning. You saw her yeah. leg. Yeah. There's a little girl <laughs> that gets oh, yeah. hugged. Yeah. yeah, there's a little girl that gets hugged. But none of them would pass the Bechdel test, because even Jennifer's body, I they may have one conversation about the occult, but other than that, it's just about boys across the board. She has a conversation with Jennifer about boys. She has a conversation with Chip's mom about Chip. It's just... I wonder if we can, from all these four movies, if we can unify it with, like, what's a signature that is that we can see from all those movies of, like, what a female director creates in a horror movie. I don't remember if we talked... I think we talked about this at the beginning. I was talking about Karen Kusama's... uh, The interview that I read where Mm -hmm. she was basically... Women don't get chances to make mistakes. Yeah. Right? So if you make a mistake, then you don't get another chance. Right. And the only way to learn how to be a good filmmaker is to make a lot of yep. films. So like Ida yeah. Lupino, she didn't start directing until she had been in literally, I, I'm going to, you know, de- tons, mm-hmm. you know, tens or maybe even hundreds of movies. Mm-hmm. And then she started directing. Uh, also, she came from a family that that did entertainment and she was encouraged to be behind the mm-hmm. you know behind this camera not mm-hmm. just in front of it she's probably the only one who i mean if you look at uh jennifer if you look at um, boxing helena that woman Does was it? 19 years old when she wrote it and 21 years old when she directed it she didn't have any background mm-hmm. well i'm cam lying Limited. because she's daughter was of david, david lynch <laughs> she's david lynch's daughter so she probably had a lot of background yeah but not experience actually being in the director's mm-hmm. chair. Yeah. Um, Karen Kusama, her first movie did very well um, in terms of critical mm-hmm. success. And then she went a long time without making movies. That was my understanding of the timeline. I mean, it's this is something we talked about in our last episode, too, which is like, you are if you are a director or a writer with a, you know, it's maybe not the right term, but like a minority perspective then there's this like expectation that those are the movies you're going to make and if they don't do well then you don't get another shot you know and mm-hmm. so you have these these movies where it's like well we're going to do a gender flipped version of this thing and oops it didn't do that well so i'll see you in six years when i have to make another movie and I... it's such a shame but there are movies out there that we didn't watch who are directed <laughs> by women yes. that are very good such as american psycho and mm-hmm. ravenous Ravenous was so good as a scary movie that it made me puke. It made me physically ill. That's the mm-hmm. only time I've ev- that's ever happened to me in a movie. 
<laughs> yes. I just, it was so disgusting. It was, oh, it was gross. Well, I, will, I will add to that by saying, Karen and I have both watched American Psycho and Ravenous. Both are movies that I really love, and I think Karen really enjoyed as well, and I think they're great. But I will say that they did not do well. They're not critically well-liked. They did not do, they were not successful. Be- but they're cult favorites. They are cult favorites. So they are better than the movies we watched, but I bet those directors, female directors, did not get a lot of opportunities as a result, which is also part of why this is so sad. I think one of the unifying themes that I could see from watching these four movies and the other movies um, that were directed by women as, as well, Babadook and... Um, and the love witch and the love witch Mm -hmm. and um and american psycho and ravenous yeah is that that there's this i i hate it because it's going to sound kind of sexist but these women directors are able to depict um a sensual or a sensuousness about even even like the scene of eating a body like (laughs) it is very intimate in Ravenous and in American Psycho, like that scene in the shower where he's, you know, like yeah. I, oh, I have a thought on this. So, and then in um in the Love Witch, it's 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 like a magazine. It's editorial. <laughs> it's just the way that they depict um, bodies is is different mm-hmm. than uh, how a man would depict a how a male director might depict a body in. Should we talk a little bit about the Love Witch? Because that's pretty extraordinary. Well, let me, let me say one <laughs> I thing. I think we should. Because I want to I piggyback off what Karen said. One thing I noticed, I'm making this up in my head as I'm, I'm talking it out in my head and thinking it through. But one of the things in all these movies that I see that is different than a lot of movies, which I think may, maybe because they're female directors, is they mascul- there is a feminine masculinity present in each of these or a a expression of like toxic masculinity i mean part of this is the sexism but american psycho i I need you to clarify is it coming from the male characters or the female yeah so i would say the male characters in each of these movies there is a male character who is a protagonist or maybe not a protagonist who's not very who's not macho and that is rare but what about in the velvet vampire that guy was totally like a i don't think he was very macho at all well he was that he was acting you know like kind of aggressively he was stuck up he was I mean, pushed around and then killed by a woman. True. And Chip, although he is very heroic, uh, he gets killed by a lady. You never see him. He's not a big, tough dude. But a Even, big, tough no. dude in that movie did get killed, too. He did, he did. But, but he was not shown to be positive. He was not a positive protagonist who was a big, tough dude. Like, when I think of all of these movies put together, Ravenous, main character, he's a wimp and he's a coward, and that's his character. In American Psycho, he's this big, tough dude, but he is really... God, he's very insecure. Yeah, well, one true. of the thoughts I was having, which I think kind of goes along with that, is that if it's if you're a female director and it's your first movie, like The Babadook or mm-hmm. um, not The Velvet Vampire, The Babadook or um, Boxing Helena, mm-hmm. you may feel some pressure to make it about something feminist. Yes, right. Whether that's whether that's in your wheelhouse as a thinker or not. You right. may feel some pressure to say, well, oh, now I, I'm a woman, and now I finally have a chance to be a woman directing a movie. I That's, suspect it's not feel pressure. You probably have, have pressure. pressure. There's right. probably legitimate pressure since Boxing Helena was someone else's idea. So one of the other things about Ida Lupino was that you know she directed for the initially for the production company mm-hmm. that, that, she, that was her production company with her husband at the time. It's kind mm-hmm. of funny, actually, because... Her husband at the time, let's see, was this in the Hitchhiker time frame? There was, no, it was the beginning of this, I think. So, um, 
at that time they were in business together and they stayed in business together. Mm. But he was having a an affair with a woman named uh, with an actress named Joan Fontaine, and meanwhile, and she got pregnant by uh. an actor, uh, Duff. Uh, what's his name? Uh, whatever his name mm. is. Um, but they continued to work together because they worked together and they actually liked each other. <laughs> but what I was going to say is their production company was specifically focused on doing movies with like a socially important theme okay that includes the hitchhiker but they did a movie they did a movie about um uh, rape mm-hmm. they did a movie about an an, an illegitimate child you know okay. they they took uh, they were tackling social issues right and they were doing it on purpose this. okay um and then after that then she just she was doing a lot of commercial stuff and for for mm. major studios but it gave her she was in a completely different position she had control over the whole you know, it was her production company. I guess, so I guess, for me, the through line here with the female-directed horror movies is you do not, I did not see in any of these movies the stereotypical macho hero. There were macho guys who were villainous, and there were, like in Boxy Helena, wimpy protagonists, mm-hmm. or ravenous, but you don't see the John, the, the action hero. Even right. and the hitchhiker would have been the perfect, the place you'd normally see it, except both those guys were... They were not not they were not masculine masculine, but it just didn't play. One thing movie. I saw too is that in uh, these movies that we watched, typically, it's you know typically it's a blonde beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. But in these movies that we watched, there is the brunette um, in there's yeah. what's her name? There's the brunette in um, Boxing Helena, and she's the sexy one, and the blonde one is the nerdy doctor, or whatever. Yeah. Um, in Jennifer's Body, Megan Fox is the sexy, dark-haired lady, and Amanda Seyfried is the blonde, nerdy friend. <laughs> yeah. In, uh, what was it? What is the other movies we watched? Uh, Velvet Vampire. In the Velvet Vampire, the blonde is, you know, yeah. the v- Velvet Vampire is the dark-haired, sexy seductress, mm-hmm. and the blonde is, you know, kind of this sort of dumb, yeah. a little Witch. bit more plain wife. Yeah. Um, in, in, yeah, in The Love Witch, there, there it is again, the yeah. dark-haired beauty versus, I don't know, everyone else is, yeah, it's just, things are flipped around a little bit with these movies, um, uh, but, yeah. ugh, the, watching some of them was just terrible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, and part of me, you know, I'm thinking, like, is that action hero, masculine action hero character, is that a male power fantasy that a female director or, or female writer would not include because it's not a real thing in real life like that's made up and that's not a fantasy for a lady to be like well Ooh, what a big tough action dude who shoots everybody and is good at fighting uh, <clears throat> sorry for our previous episode i'm gonna cough <coughs> so now you can cut that out okay uh, our previous episode was our special episode on people of color mm-hmm. one of the movies we watched was sugar hill yeah. which had an extremely powerful female character mm-hmm. not directed by a woman but the character was extremely powerful. If I was going to make a movie, I wouldn't make any of the movies we just saw. Yeah. I would make a movie. It would definitely have a feminist take because the main character would be a woman mm-hmm. and she would be, she'd be Cleopatra Smashing the Jones. patriarchy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like Xena. Everybody <laughs> right. likes Xena. I, w- I would not want to do Xena because Xena's been done already, but yeah. I want to do, you know, like a regular movie, like like, like, just take a generic movie and then just put a woman in the main character and make her super strong. And maybe she can kick people. I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Dude, you wanted to talk about The Love Witch, though. I want to talk about The Love Witch. Well, maybe we should just make that. Let's talk about our recommendations. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I recommend The Love Witch 
with some reservations. It was too. It was too slow. <laughs> so boring. Yes, it, it was boring story wise, but it, visually oh, it was yeah. never yeah. boring. Gorgeous. Everything throughout. you everything that you mm-hmm. saw was intended, and it was in, the colors were super saturated. Well, you should probably describe. Maybe not the story, but just what is the Love Witch? What is that thing? Why the would Love somebody Witch watch it? Is an homage to horror movies from the seventies, like The Velvet Vampire, except mm-hmm. that it's a modern day. Except that everything she wears and every other character wears is something from the seventies, and they all drive seventies cars. Yeah, but they drive around in modern towns. Um, yeah, and it's about a witch who is looking for love, but yeah. she's a witch, so it doesn't turn out so good. Well, also, she has some very specific ideas, ideas of yes. what she was looking for in a man. And and they're super... Um, very sexist. They're very sexist, yes. She wants a strong man, and she... This but, movie, except it's not really true. It's no. what she wants, but she's sort of mentally disturbed, right? Because yeah. it's not what she wants. And she kills all of her lovers. I mean, this, this movie... Oh, go ahead. Um, I'm, so I read about this movie a long time ago before we even watched it. Mm-hmm. And it's this article from Vice. It's like an interview with this lady. And um, the way that they describe this movie is Elaine, played by Samantha Robinson, is fleeing the mysterious death of her ex-husband. And she's dis- so it says disappointed by men in her past and the deficit between how they see her and how she wants to be seen. So there's just like that tension of, you know, she thinks that they left her, but actually she killed. She yeah. kills all these guys. And in her head, she's like, you know, they they don't love me or they don't want me. But actually, she like murders these right. fellas. Yeah. So I don't know. There's just that there's that disconnect that and you guys final, were talking about. The final guy is the one guy that challenges her. And then she sees him as death, and then she kills him. And that's kind of how the movie ends. Yeah. I mean, I think this movie misses the mark on a lot of things, and part of it is because it's very slow and boring. But there are definitely scenes in The Love Witch that I think do the ironic sexism stuff a lot better than either Jennifer's Body or Boxing Helena, where... The Love Witch is giving this big spiel about how, like, I just want a man who takes care of me and is so, like such a man and can like you know tell me what to do and then they are juxtaposing that with the men she's meeting and putting under her spell who she really can't like she can't stand and they're wimps and then she kills them right and that actually that works in the movie there's some stuff that doesn't work but i like those scenes yeah it doesn't have the problems that we just talked about about the movies that we watched with the exception of the hitchhiker yeah the three movies that we watched the love witch doesn't have that problem Mm -mm. even though it, the text of it, the actual yeah. words she says are extremely sexist, mm-hmm. but they're juxtaposed with the events with the that right occur. Things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's done right in those scenes where you realize the the movie maker makes it clear that what she's saying is not how the director it's, feels. It's not reality. Right. right. Yeah. What's what the... she's saying is very very separate from what reality actually is. And the other thing about the Love Witch is you should just put it in your eye holes. <laughs> you should just watch it so you can see it. Yeah. What was the name of her part. friend that kind of like plain the real estate agent? Yeah, the real estate agent. Oh, yeah, I cannot remember she the was name. she was like that bouncing like soundboard for. You mm-hmm. know, all I liked these... her because she would take in that information and have no response to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some really good things about this movie. I wouldn't recommend it. 
I, I wouldn't recommend it. It looks I w- great. I would like, I guess, the best way to watch this movie is on mute with just watching. <laughs> In the watch- background at a party. <laughs> Not entirely. Yeah, really. I mean, I would want to watch that scene of the, the uh, Renaissance Fair. That was, was awesome. That was pretty cool. That was cool. My my recommendation for the way to watch it, because it's too long and a little too slow, is just have your iPad or something by yeah. you and get the visuals into your eye holes and then, you know, occupy your mind with other things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to do your recommendation? I'm still thinking through what I want to say. My recommendations? Well, there was this, um, there's a French, it's not It's not an American movie, it's a French female director. I linked it to um, Deb's Facebook. Oh, yeah. Uh, but this female director is, um, she uses a lot of practical effects, all practical effects in her film. It's about cannibalism. It's always about cannibalism. Really Why does cannibalism. it have to be cannibalism? That makes me freaking sick but 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 it was also about adolescence and yeah and puberty i think yep so it's it's a kind of a coming of age movie but also like with cannibalism and also french actors and it, it sounded really cool it just also sounds like it could be sickening like ravenous was <laughs> i i mean i'll recommend ravenous because i think a lot of people have seen american psycho i really really like american psycho a lot mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people have not seen Ravenous and it's a very much a cult movie and it's not, it has a very bad Rotten Tomatoes score and it doesn't have anyone famous in it really. And it has a lot of people you'll recognize, but it's a beautiful movie. The score is amazing. it's It's got very, it's very scary at parts, but also like visually interesting. It's also Mm -hmm. a period piece, which Mm -hmm. makes it very Mm -hmm. interesting to watch. Like I can't recommend that movie enough, especially having watched a bunch of, movies with female directors where i was like eh, i don't know it's not that scary or it's got these problems ravenous i think as a whole stands up really well what a bold movie that is ravenous yeah. is really there's like good. no female characters in it which is a bummer and i there's very few people of color but i still heartily recommend it well i'm gonna recommend a couple of other movies yeah that, let's hear and i don't i haven't actually seen either of them I also want to say Hitchhiker was good. It Hitchhiker was definitely was worth seeing. Good. Highly recommend. Um, and and uh, I also watched an episode of Twilight Zone. Did we talk about that? Yeah, you mentioned that yeah, the yeah. one, that, the one, the one I couldn't remember the name of. Yeah, where she's a mo- old movie star. Yeah, I've seen um, she directed it's another creepy. one that she also was in. Another episode hmm. of Twilight Zone. But that's not what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> Karen Kusama. Kusama. I don't know why I have so much trouble with that name. Um, she has direct her first movie was Girl Fight, which I have heard is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stars a Latino actress. What's her name? Let's, let's uh, can I remember Girl Fright well enough? I just well, remember I, hearing that it was really I good. I didn't see it. So, but it, it, that she still, I recognize her face. She's definitely a prominent actress now. Mm-hmm. And it was from Girl Fight. So, I mean, we kind of, we kind of were harsh on Jennifer's body. So I want to say this, this director has directed two yeah. other films, her most recent one and her first one, which are, which yeah. I have heard are, worth seeing and the the one that the more recent one was the invitation yes and karen saw that i have not but i've heard it's really good so this karen kasama thankfully got some more opportunities Uh, i i would i was good i I, I thought it was good um i i watched that movie with my friend annie hi annie if you're listening hi hello um but yeah it was it was good it was slow going until it hit and then when it hit then you're like oh cool and then it ended, and I was like, I wish there was more action in this film. But it was a it was a good movie. Being better than Jennifer's Body. Way better than Jennifer's okay. Body. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. that's the test. I think that uh, director does a good job of reflecting 
what it's like to live in that time period. Because that, that movie that we watched was very 2009, mm-hmm. and The Invitation is very Los Angeles in, like, 2016 or whenever it came out. It's, like, just depicts... Yeah, it, it's, it's, cool. it's an accurate depiction of, like, the people who live in that time, more yes. or less. I, and I, I'll also say, Jennifer's Body, for it, despite its many faults, it's very pretty. It's a very nice movie to look like. Visually, it's very good. Mm-hmm. So I, I got that from it even as well. And the invitation, like, kinda... too, for sure. It's just, it really depicts, like, these, I don't know, yuppie L.A. <laughs> young, young rich people who live in the hills sort of lifestyle. It's really, like... That, that is how those people are. <laughs> that is how they're like. That makes me want to see it. Yeah, that you should good. watch it. Every, yeah. Everyone should watch The Invitation. It's good. Okay. All right. Well, well now what movies. are we going to... Oh, yeah, talking about the cocktail. Drink time? Yeah. That was really good. I so, like this cocktail a lot. I made Excellent. This, I made a cocktail called The Velvet Vampire. Uh, it's a coffee drink. It yes. has a lot of coffee in it. It's so very it's coffee flavor. It's got espresso in it. It's got a syrup that I made. Um, I ended up... I wanted it to be super dark. Mm-hmm. And I it made worked. a salted coffee syrup. wasn't not quite dark enough, but I had just so happened to have some of the syrup from the bad seeds on hand at the same mm-hmm. time. So it's a black sesame seed anise syrup. So I added some of that to make it darker, which mm-hmm. the flavor of that syrup is really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got that in it. It's got some espresso in it. It's got some cardamom bitters in it. It's got mm. uh, a rum, uh, a, an espresso rum uh, liqueur, I guess you call it, and then okay. it's just got some cracking rum in it, which is a spice rum, and they're all very dark. Yeah, cracking um, rum's like black. Yes, and then when you shake it, it actually forms like a crema, like you have on top of an espresso. That's mm-hmm. so cool. And then uh, I topped that with a candied rose petal, just for looks. It's pretty. Yeah. We ate it. I yeah, ate I had a little it. bite. It was gross. I, yeah, don't eat it. <laughs> but it looks good, and it's uh, very sparkly. Earlier in this episode, you can hear me say, Karen, don't, as she's taking a bite of a roast pepper. <laughs> it doesn't taste bad to me, and people put flowers on food all the time. Some flowers taste better than others. I guess yeah. roses don't taste very good. I'm kind of down. I like it. I took two bites. You can have my roast <laughs> And I'm not going to eat the whole thing. But it also has, I mean, it has a little sugar on it, but then it also has some edible glitter, which has no flavor whatsoever. Yeah. It's very pretty. It looked so pretty when the when the glitter started mixing in the dark coffee drink. It looked it looked. It really also nice. glittered yes. your lips, by the way. Oh, my God. Cool. <laughs> yes, it did. I just noticed. So cool. Well, great. Um... Well, this, I think, is our last episode for this, for this season. season. Yeah, right. for this season. Do we want to talk about next season? I think we should not. I think oh, we should have a Make it a surprise. surprise? Yeah, it'll be different. We're not I have told movies. some people about the premise of next Ooh, season. Ask around. Maybe you'll find yeah. out. <laughs> but we are not going to do horror movies. Um, and that was always the plan. We yes. always mm-hmm. planned to change genre for mm-hmm. the second season. We briefly uh, talked all about seasons. doing a slightly different horror movie season, but we decided we're going to do something different next time. Right. And I'm excited about it. But I think it would be better as a surprise. Well, Maybe no, we talk about what it we is. We can't, though. Because, I mean, part of the structure of this show is to say what are the next two movies oh, we're I going to watch. I suppose that's true. Well, what are the next two movies we're going to watch? We are going to watch D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation from, I think, 1918, ooh, perhaps. Ooh, and ooh. it's like three hours long. <laughs> so we're going to have to work that out. Because it's going to be a hard watch. watch. Fast forward, right? Um, I I have been made to understand from very brief reading that it is extremely racist. So yeah, it's going to be really difficult. And what are you pairing it with? We are pairing it with Birth of a Nation. Ugh. Came out in 2015, I think, or maybe 2016. So everyone can guess what our theme is. But we'll, yeah. t- we'll tell you what the two you movies guess are. What the theme but is guess what two. our theme is we'll for next season. So we are actually going to get 10 episodes. 
that are decades because we're starting in the teens this time. Wow. Last episode, hey. last season, we started in the twenties. We get to start in the teens, even and I, I am very excited to watch the movie from the twenties actually because I was surprised this movie even existed. Well, and that we'll sounds cool. Find I out about that later. Watched that movie in college, I think, or part of that movie for a class, but I can't Birth remember. Mm-hmm. Mm, I can't I remember what it. class. I can't remember. It's based on a book called The Klansman, so you can guess yeah. what that. Is yeah, we're going to watch like? two very controversial movies side by side and compare them. Yeah, and get really just sickened by it, I guess. By yeah. it, I guess. But I think it makes sense because if you, for the last two episodes, we've picked social themes and it really is probably our, I'm going to say it's our wheelhouse to go yeah. in that direction. So we always want to talk about social issues mm-hmm. and current events and this will give us a little more leeway to do that and yeah. it'll give me more leeway to research actual history not i mean i i like researching film history ida lupino was fascinating mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. but i think researching american history is going to be interesting yeah and because we live in these interesting times next season is going to really help us process yeah. what's going on I in the so. present yeah. hopefully maybe <laughs> that's part of we'll it. see yeah <laughs> Uh, so I guess plugs. Oh yeah, um, go listen to Third Act Saviors. Um, Sidekicks too. And Sidekicks. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have to plug that because I'm not on Sidekicks. Except <laughs> sometimes they talk about me. Very often they talk about me. Um, Third Act Saviors. Uh, as of right now, we had an advertisement run on another podcast, and suddenly our listenership has exploded, which has been great for us. Um, so we're very excited to have um, new listeners and people write in and basically more stuff we can do so listen to that if you want to see hear me and some of my friends be a little funnier and also talk about movies mm. uh, i'm gonna plug uh our law firm helios law group oh, yeah we're a full service law firm so come to us with all your law needs we're to get valid. full service whatever you got we'll take um i also want to plug getting involved with your local politics in whatever way that you can mm-hmm. um we should all get involved and we should all care about what's going on. Yeah. And I know it's really hard sometimes to find the energy to do it, but however way you can get involved, you should. That's right. Um, or just give money if you've got money. Yeah. Also works. That's yeah. a way to be involved. That is definitely, and that's what a lot of candidates need. So, mm-hmm. um, what else should, I don't know. I'll plug the Social Justice Fund again because yeah, I really... I really like the Social Justice Fund. It's a it's a nonprofit that helps other nonprofits uh, by raising money and awarding those nonprofits with grants so that they can continue to do work in their community. Um, they only award grants to nonprofits who focus on community organizing. So that means like uplifting people in the community to help them do the work of like unifying the people in their own community so i think that's cool if i wanted to donate or get more information about social justice fund where would i go you should go just google social justice fund and uh you can sign up to be part of a giving project which is what i did it was the gender justice giving project and so we raised as a group all the other volunteers and i we raised money that would be awarded as grants to these organizations that were doing a lot of cool work around gender justice in this Pacific Northwest region. And um, we also had to, like, 
read their grant proposals, which are really, grant mm. proposals are super yeah. complex. Right. I had no idea. I, I dove into this project because I had no idea about what it meant to write a grant, read a grant, score a grant. Mm-hmm. But now I know, and it's really hard work to even submit a grant proposal. Who knew how hard <laughs> It's almost as hard as be. being the president. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm just yeah. going to yell. <laughs> Uh, but Social Justice Fund does a lot of cool work, and it's it's kind of a radical, it's a new radical way of fundraising where you're not asking like super rich people for money, but you're asking just people that you know in your life to give give whatever money they can give towards um, these grants that will be awarded to these community organizations. So All three it's, of us gave money. That's yep. true. Yeah. So. Um, I think nice. people, if they have the time to do it, they should get involved with the Social Justice Fund because it's a, it's a really cool project and you yes. meet a lot of interesting people. Um, what else yeah. can I plug? <laughs> I don't know. The I, Great British Baking Show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to plug the uh, WordPress. Go there if you want the recipes. Oh, yes. oh yeah. And uh, if you go to the Decades Podcast WordPress, you will have access to the episodes all the photos, which th- I think the photos are great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I take the photos, which is a thing to say. <laughs> but what? I, I don't know. Huh? Uh, they're great the, photos. But I think they're great photos. I okay, really good. like the photos. And all the recipes are there. I write a blog post, but if you don't want to read the blog post, just skip to the bottom. That's where the recipe is. No, everybody read the blog post. You should post. read the blog post. They're very en- entertainingly written. Unless you start reading them and you've already heard the stuff from it, from the episode. From the episode. Then skip yeah. ahead. Go check out that blog. Yeah, and uh, stay tuned. We're, we can plug ourselves because we're going to have another season with some slightly different stuff coming soon. Right. Well, great. Thanks for being my co-host for this whole season. We Yay, did. <laughs> we've we been doing this it. for like a year now. It's true. I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm proud of us. Get away from me now, both of you. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you guys. <laughs> Bye. 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 Woo. We did it.